Everyone likes a great deal, like savings, markdowns, and lunch specials. But when it comes to car insurance, we know the right place. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates for your ride. Your friends don't have to have a connection or call in a favor. State Farm offers options like insuring your ride and your home, getting you great rates on both. Now that's a deal. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. How fun was Christmas as a kid? I mean, that's even an expression, right? Happier than a kid on Christmas or whatever. But man, once you become an adult, those responsibilities just start piling up. You got to start worrying about time off and how much time you're going to work and when the kids are in school and when they're out of school and how we're traveling here and what hotel we're staying at and do we need a flight. And It gets expensive and then you've got all the extra added stress of, oh, I got to hang this light and I got to put up this tree and then we got to wrap the presents. But most importantly, the financial stress of we got to buy all of these presents. Don't put Christmas on a credit card. Hurry to save with Conrad.com. We want to make sure that you hit 2022 the way you planned on ahead of the game. Don't go overspend and kick the can down the road and make it one of your new year's resolutions next year where you say, well, I guess this year I'm going to try to get out of debt and save money. Do it right now. All the experts are predicting that interest rates are going to rise next year. Don't take my word for it. Throw it in your Google machine, but here's what's happened in the last two years. All of a sudden your house is probably worth more than ever. Why not use some of your newfound equity to get the best interest rate you've ever had while we've still got them. Get rid of your PMI. That in and of itself might save you two or 300 bucks. And at the same time, get rid of all your credit card debt. Just like that. If you can hear my voice and you're in a 30 year loan, if you've got a second mortgage, if you've got credit card debt, if you've got a car loan, you owe it to yourself to just get a quick quote right now at savewithconrad.com. Oh, and how's this for starters? Your single biggest bill, you know, your house payment, you won't have to make that in December or January. You're done until February 1st. You get a two month break from your single biggest bill right here during the holidays. That's going to get you the cash you need to not put Christmas on a credit card. And that credit card debt, it'll be gone forever thanks to SaveWithConrad.com. Go read some of our five-star reviews all for yourself. Type this into your browser right now, C-O-N-R-A-D-Reviews.com. ConradReviews.com. See what our actual customers are saying about the process and their experience. It's almost five stars across the board. And then hurry to SaveWithConrad.com. Get yourself a quick quote. Find out how much money you can save for free. We're routinely helping our podcast listeners save five, six, seven, even 800 bucks a month. Heck, the other day we helped a guy save more than $1,100 a month. I want to be clear. He didn't save $1,100 one time. He's saving it this month, next month, the month after that, all because he went to savewithconrad.com. And you can do it too. You don't need perfect credit. You don't need money out of your pocket. And if we can't save you some money, we won't waste your time. But right here during the holidays, what are you waiting for? Make this the best Christmas ever. Let's be like kids on Christmas and not have the financial stress of worrying about what are we going to do? You're going to get out of debt faster and with cheaper monthly payments than you ever thought possible because you went to savewithconrad.com. NMLS number 65084, equal housing lender at savewithconrad.com. 
Give the ultimate gift to the wrestling fan in your life this holiday season. You've asked for it, and I can't believe this is real, but now you can give the gift of ad-free shows. Head over to adfreegift.com now to purchase an ad-free show subscription for a friend or loved one. Simply click on gift a subscription up at the top and choose a plan. Plug in their email address, and just like that, your gift is on its way to their inbox. In my opinion, you simply will not find a better value in wrestling this holiday season early ad free access to all seven of my podcasts plus video starting at just $9 a month. We've also got tons of exclusive bonus content on top of it for just 29 bucks. So what are you waiting for? Get over with that special someone in your life by giving the gift of ad free shows, visit adfreegift.com right now to get started. That's adfreegift.com. Your one-stop shop for the wrestling fan in your life. This holiday season is adfreegift.com. Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Eric, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm just blessed. That's it. Just blessed. Great. Looking forward to a great weekend. Going to be packing up the truck and the dog and the wife and be heading down to Florida on Monday. We're recording this on a Saturday morning, early Saturday morning. Still dark on. I love that shit. But uh, yeah, we're getting we're getting into the holiday spirit, man. It's a very special Christmas for us this year. I'm not going to say more, but the picture should provide all of the explanation. What it means. And we are really looking forward to it. Well, it actually feels like Christmas now. I mean, I, I haven't had that Christmas vibe in a long time. Just you know, situation, you know, kids are spread all over and we get together and all that, but it's not quite the same as, as it used to be when they were little, but um, we're, we've got some stuff going on and we're just really looking forward to it packing a bunch of food to bring down with me to cook. I wish I could big my, my grill, but I can't. There's not enough room in the truck. But yeah, we're going to be cooking our asses off and having a great time and enjoying our family and our company and our friends and really looking forward to this one. And then on our way back, because we'd re- we have to drive, right? Because we have Nikki. And when there's no way we're leaving our dog anywhere. So we bring our dog with us every which is why we, one of the reasons why. The other is I would rather chew off my foot than fly commercial during the holiday season. Oh it's man. Horrible. Can't imagine. But then we're going to, we're going to leave uh, Florida after Christmas and we're going to come up and hang with you and Megan and the family and friends and uh, have kind of a Christmas part two. Well, I'm looking forward to that. And by the way, uh, you don't need to lug a grill here. I got plenty for you to use. If you want to do, oh, a I little, know, I know. I'm just saying hypothetically. So we could do a little turkey tasting here, you know. Ah, see, I was just going to ask you, man, what you guys usually, because if you have turkey for Christmas, then having, and you had turkey for Thanksgiving, then having turkey over New Year's weekend, eh. But if you're up for it, I'm up for it. That's what I'm saying. Like, this is our chance, right? I mean, we've talked about this for a long time, and we're going to be in the same spot for a few days. 
I mean, I think we could do like a steak off a turkey off. I mean, I think uh, you and Mrs. B are probably going to be like in a, in a food coma when you head back, but we'll make it happen. Ooh, I'm digging it. And maybe we can get somebody to, to video some of this stuff and we can post it on adfreeshows.com and it'll be a preliminary kind of, uh, a teaser, if you will, like in a movie trailer of, of the, the big cook off we're going to have with Jeff Jarrett next Thanksgiving, oh, you and I and Jeff cooking off. That would be great. Jarrett is a total amateur. I mean, it really, it's a two horse race. It's me and you. He's an amateur. Oh God. It's really sad. Kinda. I mean, when you see what he does, you'd be like, well, I mean, that's nice. I remember my first beer, but it's just, <laughs> but here's what's really, are, are we, I know we're spending a lot of time talking about next Thanksgiving already. Some people still have leftovers from this one, but actually Jeff Jarrett was the one that first, uh, indirectly got me interested in the big green egg. Oh, really? Jeff Jarrett. Yeah. Jeff Jarrett and Jason hurry. They, they, when we were at TNA, Jason is a much more social animal than I've ever been. And he just, he's always on the phone, always checking in with people. And Jason and Jeff got along really well. And Jeff turned Jason on to the big green egg who immediately mm-hmm. turned me on to the big green egg. And that's where it all started. And it went from there up until that point, I was like, dude, basic knucklehead grill three times a year, hot dogs, hamburgers, call it a day kind of guy. Yeah. But, uh, no, Jeff indirectly opened up the door to my culinary experience. So thank you, Jeff. Well, that'll be fun. And you know what? I may have uh, Jeff do a run in if he's in town, just so he can see what it's supposed to taste like at our house. Yeah, it, 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 maybe he should take some classes, you know? Sure. I'm sure in Nashville, there's some grilling places where you can go and learn how to cook. If, Cause you know, he's going to be stepping into the ring with you and I, I, I don't want the guy to feel awkward and embarrassed. Well, that's the thing. You know, he's got this, uh, inflated sense of confidence and I don't know where it comes from. I mean, I don't know. We've talked about this on the air, but he even thinks that his name should be first on our super show. He thinks it should be Jeff and Eric live.com. And I told him that's not the address to pick up tickets to see us in St. Louis on the day of the Royal rumble. It's Eric and Jeff live.com. Why would he think it's Jeff and Eric live.com, Eric? I I think there's a point where guys like Jeff performers, talent who have been in the industry for such a long time. And and essentially, you know, Jeff grew up in literally grew up in the wrestling industry, but I think at a certain point you live this fictitious life Mm. in existence so long. And to such a degree that eventually you just believe your own promos. It's a shame. And I think that's probably where Jeff is. He's convinced himself, just much like he would going into a match or going into an interview or you know, being involved in a storyline with a character. He actually is beginning to believe his own stuff. So I it happens, man. It happens. It's 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 the result of being in the industry for so long. You lose touch with reality. Well, I'm excited. You know, we haven't done a live 83 weeks in quite a while since before the pandemic. And we're back in St. Louis at the South Broadway athletic club. I think this is where Randy Orton had his very first matches and we're going to do it the very same day as the Royal rumble. Now, as a heads up, our show is going to be three to 5 PM and the Royal rumble pre-show starts at six 30 and it's just 2.4 miles away. So you've got more than 90 minutes there. 
uh, to get over for the pre-show and really who wants to even see oh, you can walk there and still yeah. have time. That's exactly right. Now doors open at 2 PM, Eric. And what's cool about this is that's for VIP only. So VIP access will get you the opportunity to get the best seats in the house, a special piece of swag. You can't buy anywhere else pictures with both Jeff and Eric an autographed eight by 10 from each. Plus the guys will sign any item of your choosing. And that all starts at 2 PM. And then the show will start at three. And what are we going to talk about? Well, everything we'll talk about the greatness of 96, 97 and WCW, which of course is our topic today. We'll talk about the behind the scenes role that Jerry Jarrett played or didn't play in WCW. Why Jeff ultimately came in in 96, why he left in 97 and what the hell happened to WCW after October 99. And then we get to the more controversial topics. We're going to tell some stories from TNA that we probably can't air on the podcast for a whole list of political reasons. And I'm going to try to get the guys to spill the beans on their most recent runs in the WWE, but here's the best part. You can ask them anything you want. Is Jeff Jarrett really starting a promotion in 2022? What does Eric really think of Tony Khan or AEW? Is Jeff even on speaking terms with Dixie? This is going to be fun. We're not recording it. It'll never air online. The only place to hear these stories is live in St. Louis on Saturday, January 29th at Eric and Jeff live.com. <laughs> Don't go to Jeff and Eric live.com. I don't even know where that goes. Go to Eric and Jeff live.com and pick up your tickets. This should be fun, dude. It's going to be fun. And you know, this is for me, it's going to be fun. And one of the reasons why is as long as I've known Jeff and I've known Jeff a long time and, and I've worked with Jeff for a long time and, and at different levels, you know, not just when he was a talent. So but I've got a million questions for Jeff that I've never really asked him. Maybe not a million, but close. I've never really asked him because Jeff and I have gotten closer over the last couple of months or whatever. It's been a year or whatever, because of ad free shows and the different meetings that you and I and Jeff and the team have had together. I've gotten to know Jeff and, and our relationship is also different because we're no longer, I'm no longer the boss or someone that he works with in a wrestling company. And we have differing ideas and opinions about things. This is like just two guys that have been around a wrestling business for a minute, Jeff, a lot longer than I have actually, which I guess in itself, maybe, you know, an argument for his name coming first, but fuck it. I like it the way it is. So let's not mess with it, but I'm going to have an opportunity to ask Jeff a lot of questions that I've, that I really want to know the answers to a lot of it has to do with TNA I want to talk to Jeff about Russo, Hogan, mm. Ash at the Beach, Mega Swerve. I want to know just what Jeff knew and when he knew it. And and I'm going to do it in a friendly way because I am friends with Jeff and I respect Jeff. But now this is real. I'm not hyping here. I really want to know the answers to some of this stuff. You know, it's not going to change my life, but there's certain holes, you know, in certain situations that need to be filled. And I'm going to take the opportunity to fill those holes with facts. Everyone likes a great deal, like savings, markdowns, and lunch specials. But when it comes to car insurance, we know the right place. State Farm offers surprisingly great rates for your ride. Your friends don't have to have a connection or call in a favor. State Farm offers options like insuring your ride and your home, getting you great rates on both. Now that's a deal. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. 
and it's happening in front of you, a studio audience, January 29th in St. Louis. Get your tickets. Now it's Eric and Jeff live.com. I did get a few people who asked, Hey, why did you put Eric's name first? And you know, to, to Jeff, I said, well, I did it alphabetically. All right, but the reality is one of you created the NWO, the other one killed it. So it just made sense to me, <laughs> Jeff and Eric live.com. We're going to have some fun today. Uh, we're actually going to be talking about maybe my favorite period of my wrestling fandom. It's December 23rd, 1996. We want you to do a watch along with us. So fire up your Peacock network, go to season two, episode 50. And if the old high tech redneck and Cody Wyoming can do it, you can too, by God, December 23rd, 1996. Do you remember anything about this show besides the fact that you're in a kill? Not really, man. It's all a blur. And I didn't watch it beforehand. Cause when I do watch the ones like this, I really, you guys have all heard me say this. I haven't watched the show since it was over. Right. Even then I didn't really watch the show cause I was in it. Right. You know? Um, so it's like, it's like the first time, you know, it's like, Oh, we all remember our first time. I don't, I was drinking at the time, but it's cool. And I, I, I love watching this stuff and remembering it in real time along with everybody else. So, uh, I do remember the kill. It was such a fun time, Conrad. I mean, I don't know how to articulate this in a way that people can feel get close to feeling what I felt or experienced, but to be in the doghouse, to be in such a hole within Turner broadcasting, WCW was just, nobody wanted to even admit it was there. Hell, even on the accounting, you know, the, the, the SEC filings, because Turner was a public company, obviously, you know, WCW, you had to look to find it. It was called other. Mm. We were like other. We were like the shit that you have in the office when you have to do inventory, but you don't really want to, you know, put a name on something. You just go, oh, that's other. That's what WCW was up until this point. And, and it, things had started to turn, obviously, before this particular episode. But over a really, I mean, relatively speaking, an extremely short period of time, we went from being the thing that nobody wanted to acknowledge within Turner Broadcasting to be becoming kind of a big damn deal within the entire company, meaning Turner, not just WCW. And that shift in perception and acceptance really. And not so much for me, because I came in from the outside and I was by this time, I'd only been there a short period of time, really a couple of years, but for some long-term long-time employees that have been there long before I got to WCW to be able to see them walk through the CNN center and actually go, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yeah. Right here. See the badge bitch WCW. That's right. You know, that was a fun thing to experience. And this was kind of the peak of it, man. It was awesome. And just, you know, from your perspective, I know we've talked off air and hell, we even talked about it when we did the show, Halloween havoc 96 is probably your favorite WCW pay-per-view to go back and think about and reminisce about because it was when you were having the most fun. And this is literally two months later. And of course you may remember at the end of Halloween havoc 96, we got a big return in the form of rowdy, Roddy Piper. And now we're building towards that pay-per-view and later this month over at adfreeshows.com, Eric and I are going to do a watch along for that event for the 25th anniversary. What a great time in our fandom, uh, both mine and Eric's. If you haven't already fired up, 
Peacock season two, episode 50. I'm going to give you a countdown, Eric. And when I say play, we'll press play. Are you ready? I am ready, sir. Here we go. In three, two, one play. And I'm going to track the open here. And this was 25 years ago. Such a good open. I mean, an iconic open. Let's hear Tony holler. Happy holidays and season's beatings from world championship wrestling. We are live for WCW Monday Nitro. Two hours of professional wrestling's number one television program. Tonight's arena. Seek to be found because we are where the big boys play world championship wrestling. Tony Schiavone along with Larry Zabisco, the living legend for our number one. We're going to open up with a semifinal match in the U.S. title tournament between Chris Benoit and Eddie Guerrero. They met five weeks ago on this very same program. Let's show you the outcome at that time. So we're seeing some clips here of uh, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit, Randy Anderson's our referee. Sadly, everyone on screen is no longer with us, including Benoit's valet woman. That's pretty crazy to think, dude, this was just 25 years ago and literally every participant no longer with us. Wow. It's yeah, that's a, that's a head trick. Um, yeah, <laughs> I thought it, Ooh, it's heavy right out of the shoot is woman helping Chris Benoit out. Benoit and woman are back here tonight from the tour of Germany. A lot has gone on. A lot has gone down. Here comes Chris Benoit out now. And apparently he is out here by himself. The winner of this match goes on to Starcade to meet Diamond Dallas Page. Now where's woman? She's so we got Eddie Guerrero here. Taking on Chris Benoit in the opening match. Uh, is it? God, that's just, just saying that, doesn't it? It sounds weird even now, right? It's unbelievable when you think about just the talent you've got. And, and I know we've talked a lot and Lord, I just absolutely loved when you would open the show with cruiserweights. And I guess maybe somebody somewhere would argue, well, these are technically cruiserweights, but this has got, these have got to be two of the five best wrestlers in the world at this point. And they're the opening match. It's unbelievable. It really is. And I know as you pointed out, you know, Chris, no longer with us, Eddie, no longer with us, Randy Anderson, no longer with us, woman, no longer with us, but in a way they kind of are. Yeah. And, and in a way, when we go back and we watch this stuff, they're with us in a, such a positive way. You know, this is what we want to remember about the, the people that we grew up watching and idolizing or, or just enjoying, you know, as fans, depending on how old you are, obviously, I think the idolization probably, you know, starts to wear off after you're about 18 or 20 for some, for most people, not, not all of them, but here we get to watch Eddie when Eddie was, you know, arguably either at his peak or damn close to it. Uh, Chris Benoit never been another performer in the ring like him since, I mean, never will be. He was a very unique performer and had his own style and, and signature 
way of doing things, you know, even his entrance, you know, it was a little bit like Dean Malenko there, not a lot of emotion, taking it very seriously, setting the tone as he's making his way, you know, to the ring. It's just, it was all part of the show and, and Chris's approach to it was very unique, but to be able to see these guys and, 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 and girl uh, performing probably where they were happiest in their life, kind of offsets the the fact that they're no longer with us to me. Listen to the finish of this, uh, Kevin Sullivan. Something that should have been left alone. Benoit, you and I, checkmate. So the reference to chess there, you and I, checkmate, is because earlier in their promo, he says, Benoit, you took my queen. Given what we know, that is just... Woof. And look who it is. Here comes DDP. Calls Diamond Dallas is a win. This isn't. I got my fighting shirt on. Making his way over here. Diamond Dallas Page. Just sit down here. The man is out here with us, and you're already in the That's not a new world order shirt. Oh. Hey, that's a little three stooges. I I figure I'd make it a threesome over here. I see it right now. Hogan, Bischoff, and DiBiase. Whatever. Bottom line is I just buzzed down here from Hotlanta in the long black super stretch because I got to see this live. See, I'm already in the playoffs, and I want to see who's going to be facing me in the playoffs for the U.S. strap. So we're setting the stage here for Starcade. Of course, this is the go-home episode, and you and I have spent a lot of time talking about DDP, how he was really trying to put it together. You know, in, in the mid nineties, 95, he was still trying to figure it out. 96, he started to come into his own, but 97, he's going to become a bona fide star. And we're just a, a few weeks away from the big moment where Hall and Nash offer him a spot in the NWO. He rejects it, hits the diamond cutter, leaves through the crowd, which he gives you all the credit for the leaving through the crowd piece. And he was just a, a superstar from that point forward. So it's kind of fun to see. Eddie Guerrero before he's world champ, Chris Benoit before he's world champ, DDP before he's world champ. I mean, DDP is about to be in the feud of the year in 1997 with macho man. And these guys are all on the cusp of not just being quote unquote, great hands, but megastars in wrestling. It is. It is some, I mean, there's so many things about this that I enjoy doing or why I enjoy doing it. But even DDP and I, you know, obviously everybody knows DDP and I are good friends and have been for many, 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 many years. <laughs> but holy shit, hey, man, I have to remind myself. But the coolest thing about DDP to me, well, number one, he's a good human being. He is a good human being. He he loves to help. Not many people are like that. He's unique in every in that regard. But what I find fascinating is how he's reinvented himself. I mean, you look at DDP, here's a guy, he was kind of, I don't want to say floundering because he was always successful at whatever he did. You know, if he was running nightclubs in Florida, he was managing nightclubs in Florida. He was very good at that. He was very successful. I made a lot of money doing that, you know, and then he kind of fell in love with wrestling and now he's a manager, you know, which at the time, if you think about it, here's a guy, I don't know how tall, DDP is, he's got to be six, two, six, four, six, five, something like that. I mean, he's a big dude, right? A big yeah. tall dude. And at that time you didn't have six foot two, six foot three, six foot four inch managers because they kind of towered over the talent and fucked up the whole gimmick. Right. So that was, but he did it. He wanted to do it and he figured out a way. 
and then you know into play by play and 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 color. He was a color commentator, and he did a great job at that. You know, one not one of the best, not in the top three, nothing like that. But he was really good at it. And then he got tired of that and decided at whatever age he was, early thirties, ah, I want to be in the ring. That is a very unlikely decision. It's an even unlikelier choice for someone, but he, he did it and he became WCW world heavyweight champion. And that's not the most interesting thing about page. The most in- interesting thing to me about page is that after wrestling was over, when a lot of guys, you know, physically they're starting to break down, you know, the best part of their life in their minds, at least, um, unfortunately, was back then, you know, when things were rocking and when I was a champ, Paige didn't look at life that way. He decided, okay, now what am I going to do next? What am I passionate about? He got passionate about yoga of all things, which I never would have guessed, you know, back when I, when I first met Paige, but he got interested in it and then decided, huh, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to build a business. And he built an amazingly successful business while doing what he really loves to do, which is help people. And that's to me, you know, that's, that's a study in, in, in perseverance and a positive attitude, which he, you know, drips um, and just being willing to take chances. Hats off to page, man. Really a special guy. And, uh, we know his story's not over. He's always signing up to do new crazy stuff. So <laughs> I want to mention Starcade 96 is uh, right around the corner here. And, uh, that show has taken place in Nashville in hindsight. It's one of my great regrets as a wrestling fan. I didn't have a driver's license. I wasn't old enough to get there by myself. I would have had to figure out an adult to, uh, get me there, but it's like two hours from my house and I didn't get there, but you probably loved the schedule here. Cause you just mentioned a few moments ago, how much you hate, hate the idea of commercial holiday travel and this nitro make in Georgia. And then the pay-per-view Nashville, Tennessee. So you're living out of Atlanta. This is a, a dream come through or come true for you. Just hop in the car and boom, you're home. Yeah. And especially, you know, on the December 23rd, you know, shot, cause I got to bring my wife and kids. Mm. She's always, you know, it's nice when, you know, and I was, I was working pretty hard at this point, you know, I was working seven days a week at this point, really. Uh, when I was home on the weekends, I was working um, and it would be phone calls and activity and meetings over the phone on a typically on a nine o'clock Sunday night. So it was nonstop. So to be able to take my, uh, my wife and kids with me, especially to Nashville, cause Nashville is a cool town. By this point, Garrett was really getting into to what I was doing and he loved being around it and hanging out with some of the guys. I think this particular nitro uh, or excuse me. Yeah. Nitro um, Garrett was hanging out with Ted DiBiase and, so it was fun just to be able to bring your family. All right, Conrad, I want to take a quick time out to talk about one of my favorite things, meat. But you know what one of my favorite things isn't? Shopping for good quality, great cuts of meat. It's getting harder and harder and a lot more expensive. And over the last, I don't know, three or four weeks, the selections are down to next to nothing. But I've got a solution, and I love it. Fairwaymeatmarket.com. Fairway is a family-owned grocery chain, and it's been around since 1938. Now, their Fairway meat department has always been considered the backbone of their operation. What can customers expect from fairwaymeatmarket.com? 
It's still cut by hand by fairway butchers to ensure the best possible quality. It's the same quality that they promise at the counter. Now it's delivered to your door nationwide. I've had a great experience with fairway meats. I've got a freezer full of the product right now, and uh, it'll be dwindling down soon with the holidays coming up. The first package I got, I, I uh, reverse seared a couple of uh, beef tenderloin steaks, and they were absolutely fantastic. Fairway Meat Market's quality meat comes straight from America's heartland, <clears throat> where it's grown best. Premium beef, including choice, prime, and 100% full-blood Wagyu, and all-natural certified Duroc pork. Now, if you haven't tried Duroc pork yet, you owe it to yourself. It's raised by family farmers and sourced straight out of corn country, giving you the best access to the highest quality beets in America. People love the wide selection of products that Fairway has from ribs, ribeyes, pork, pork chops, beef tenderloin. They have every style and cut your kitchen can handle. Here's how it works. Visit fairwaymeatmarket.com. Select your favorite products. Stand by your grill. Have your gear ready and get ready for some great, great quality food. Give the gift this holiday season that your friends and family won't forget. This is how you do it. To all of our listeners right here in 83 Weeks, you can get the Butcher's Holiday Collection valued at $275 for just $169.99, plus free shipping when entering 83 Weeks at checkout. That's the Butcher's Holiday Collection Package. It includes two 12-ounce USDA Choice Ribeye Steaks and two 8-ounce USDA Choice Filet Mignon. It's an unbelievable package. Two 8-ounce of USDA Choice Sirloin Filets. Four 8-ounce 100% full-blood Wagyu patties. You have to try that, too. Six 8-ounce Certified Duroc Boneless Pork Chops. You can thank me later. Yes, indeed, you can. And two pounds of private labeled bacon. It's an awesome package that's more than $100 off. The best meat in America this holiday season. Plus, come on free shipping nationwide that's fairwaymeatmarket.com promo code 83 weeks and keep your eyes peeled for the butcher's holiday collection did you see the crowd when when eddie was setting up the uh, frog splash and benoit instead jumped on the top rope and did a superplex the crowd went bananas I mean, they are react. They are so into this match. Even Meltzer loved it. He gave it, um, three and three quarter stars. How could you not? I mean, these are some of the best wrestlers in the world and it's the opening match and they're still telling a story. I know you love stakes. The winner will face DDP to decide who's going to be the U S champion. That belt's been vacated and now they've got to have a winner. They've got to have a U.S. champ. So the winner goes on to the pay-per-view for that title match. And then beforehand, we get the, the sort of preamble setting the stage of where things are with Kevin Sullivan and Chris Benoit with woman in the middle. We got that little promo DDP is doing color. This is about as well done as you can get for an opening segment on a wrestling show. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to, if you want to get the audience's attention or if the audience happens to be tuned in and not sure whether or not they want to commit to two hours of wrestling there's a way to overcome that. And that's just to blow them out of the water in the opening moments of the show. Five first five minutes. If you don't hook them within the first three to five minutes, in my opinion, what do I know? 
But if you don't hook them in the first three to five minutes, you, odds are you're going to lose them before the first commercial break. And for sure, you'll lose them in the commercial break. Look at the crowd. So the Oof. And this is early on. I mean, it's not like Eddie'd been around for 20 years, no, right? No, no. He's not. They've not been around for five years. Eddie was and Chris both were relatively new to WCW at this point, but it didn't take him long to get the crowd. Let's track it a little bit. Cutter. Bang! Oh, look at right there, Benoit. He was going, he was gonna go finish off Guerrero, but the referee he jumped on the ropes. Now that's not legal. They got no business up there. Guerrero took advantage of it. This is a luck. Oh, this is a fluke with diamond. You're going to have to put up with the emotional confusion of, of the Guerrero. It don't matter who it is. They make one mistake. That's all it takes. Diamond Cutter. Diamond Dallas is ready for Sunday night. Right now, we go to me and Gene Okerlund. It's been your privilege. All right, I thank you very much, Tony Schiavone. They're going to be hanging from the rafters all night long tonight on Nitro. Let's welcome, ladies and gentlemen, the four horsemen, Steve Mamba McMichael. The Enforcer, Arn Anderson. Beauty pageant queen, Deborah McMichael. And the 13th time, WCW heavyweight champion of the world, the Nature Boy, Rick Flair. So we're finishing down the first quarter hour of the show, and you're probably wondering, hey, what was happening on the other channel? Mark Miro and Hunter Hearst Helmsley, the Intercontinental Champion, went to a countout. Meanwhile, we had a clean finish here with Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit. Advantage Nitro. Let's track it. Anticipated and non-suspecting loss for him tonight. I want to talk to Chris Benoit a moment or two, but Arn Anderson, we vividly recall last week you taking a real shellacking at the hands of Kevin Sullivan, the Taskmaster, going one-on-one. -on -one. Many say that this should have been Benoit's match, but you were there instead of Benoit. Right now, your thoughts regarding that subject. A focused Chris Benoit would have never lost that match, but that's another story. You ask any man in this audience what his worst nightmare is, he'll tell you it's coming home from a hard day's work, opening his front door, walking in and seeing some other man sitting on the couch with his woman. But there's one that goes worse than that. It's being the man sitting on that couch when that door gets kicked open and that husband or boyfriend comes flying in the door and you see that rage in his eyes because you know no matter what that man does to you, no matter how severe, you deserve it. Well, last week I saw that rage in a man's eyes and I smelled it on his breath. And every time Sullivan pumped one of those fists into my face, I knew somebody deserved it. And Chris Benoit, that somebody is you. I took that beating for you last week because I'm a horseman and you're a horseman. Flair's a horseman. Benoit, Zebra, yeah, they're all horsemen and we made a pact. But just like she wasn't here last week to witness that beating that I feel like is her fault. By God, why wasn't she here this week? Whoa, whoa. Enough about that little creature. I mean, we are sick and tired of hearing about woman this and woman that. And let me tell you, I am the beautiful one here, and people only want to hear and look at me. And you know, Chris, honey, you know, the next time that you want to have an affair, you need to let me know, because 
because I had plenty of beautiful girlfriends that I met at this Crimson Tide pageant that would just love to go out with you. I mean, well, they're not as pretty as I am because I did win the pageant anyway. But Chris, honey, you are a four horseman, and you do not deserve damaged goods. Chris Benoit. second here. Arn Anderson, first of all, woman is tending to horseman business right at this moment. Second of all, I don't appreciate all the unjust allegations of all this partying and infidelities and that. Woman and I were over in Germany for a purpose. We spent days, 18-hour days, having meetings, talking about the horsemen and how they're uncoming at the seams. We've devised a plan to reunite the horsemen and bring them to what they're supposed to be. As for you, Deborah. Uh-oh. Just a minute. Talk to the hand. Talk to the hand, because the man don't understand. First of all, Deborah. Two steps back, my friend. Just take two steps back. What'd she call you, her stallion? Well, you need to put the bit back in those teeth and get that mouth shut when you're addressing this woman here, because that's my woman, son. And when you're talking to her like that, you're walking on the fighting side of me. It is two days before the Yuletide. I've come to town to reunite and to party all night long. And God only knows that after living with the devil for 10 years, woman, oh woman, won't you marry me now? Deserved a weekend with Benoit. <laughs> Nature boy going through one of his. Me, Gene. Fits. The horsemen are alive. Woo! And well. And Deborah, I've never seen you. And you, brother, you just dream about it. I don't know what the hell Rick Flair just said, but it sure was funny and entertaining. I, 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 I'd like to break this down a little bit, you know, and I, I promise I won't spend 20 minutes doing it, but that open with Arn, you know, I always talk about, I go off on tangents. I get so frustrated I could, because I'm so passionate about what I think is an important piece of the business that just isn't getting enough attention. But here is a perfect example of what I mean by great story and great story exists in every element of the product. It exists in the narrative with your play-by-play color announcers. It obviously, it it exists exists in the promos like we just saw. It exists within the body of the match that should reflect the narrative, which should reflect the interviews and the promos. All of that should be tied together in a nice little bow that creates a story that people can identify with. Now, what I loved about Arn Anderson's promo right there is he didn't come out and start threatening. This is what I'm going to do to you. But that's a typical wrestling one-on-one nonsense. Arn went out there and used a story about a man 
getting caught with some other man's wife. Now that's something that we can all relate to, not necessarily because we did it, hopefully, but we've all seen that story play out in so many, in real life we've seen or heard about that story in, in television and movies. We've seen that story. We've read about it in various books and ours laying out a very graphic, not graphic in the sense of it being inappropriate, but a very detailed story that people can imagine in their minds that's called connectivity with the audience. That's relatability with the audience. That story will get their attention and suck them in, much like a high-impact, fast-paced match like we saw with Eddie and Krista open the show. If you tell them a story they can relate to and they can picture in their mind and, and aren't used that story to really frame the angle or the arc, we can call marks back then, but aren't just such a fantastic job telling a story in his promo, not out there shouting and bitching and spitting and sweating and threatening and all the other things that we see 80% of the time in a wrestling promo. This was a great story. Hats off to, to Arn. Now I kind of tanked, you know, with, with Chris, Chris is not a great, was not a great promo. Yeah. He just wasn't, he pushed. Let me tell you something. Everything was like over the top, the way wrestlers always talk. When they're on the mic, you know, and that, by the way, that wasn't unique to Chris. I still see that to this day. We all do. Um, and Deborah was worse, <laughs> to be honest. She De- shouldn't have had, had heat, though. Did you hear that crowd start booing? By the way, yeah, we no, don't want to talk I, over no. Hogan. Hang on, hang on. Yeah, I mean, this she was great. For- Here we go. Guys, hey, I can smell Piper Mania running ragged. Where's Piper at? Hey, I'll tell you where Piper's at. He's hiding in the deepest, darkest hole he could find. You know, I tell you, man, I thought Piper might be the last one, the last of the men's men to come out here and take a whooping like he should. Is that Piper? Is that Piper out there? Yo, Roddy! Piper! No, 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 no. You don't get it. You don't get it. You just don't get it. Piper is afraid of Hollywood. I think we can put that to rest for crying out loud. He's not afraid of Hollywood. Oh, my. You see, everything's going my way. I was out in L.A. the other day, man. Kathy Melatesta, the head of Warner Brothers International, she said, you're the star of the whole network. I said, wrong. I'm the star of the NWO. Piper, you won't see him anymore, brother, because... The only way I can say it is when you're the greatest wrestler in the history of this sport. You don't get it, do you? A hundred years from now, in the history books, when your kids look at Abe Lincoln, when they look at George Washington, when they look at wrestling, they're going to see Rowdy, Roddy Piper. Not. Not. When they look at wrestling, They're going to see Hollywood Hulk Hogan, the man that made wrestling what it is today, the man that took over the Turner Empire, 
the man that founded the NWO, the man that scared the skirt right off Roddy Roddy Piper. Now, now, let me say this. Piper is not here, and it's easy for two weeks in a row to come out here and say this. No, I don't think so, because all you kids out there, all you people that aren't with the NWO for life, Roddy Piper is already hiding. Roddy Piper doesn't have enough guts to come out here and take a beating like he should. He is not here for... So you know something? As we go into this next millennium... This is incredible. As we go into this next world with the NWO skyrocketing towards the clouds, you finally have to take it, swallow it, and eat it and believe it, that there is a packing order in the world of professional wrestling. And people like the Macho Man in his wheelchair. I got your wife, Macho Man. Hey, people like Flair, the stupid little man, and especially cowards like Rowdy Roddy Piper that wear a skirt are way down the pecking order because Hollywood Hogan is the man that made you people believe in wrestling, watch wrestling, and put the NWO on top of the world. Piper, you're the biggest coward I've ever seen. You make me sick. Oh, I'm getting sick. He knows you're Piper's not even mad here. enough to wear that skirt. Obviously, it's easy being a big I man and talking big. We entertain him, trillionaire Ted. And I don't mean with her. When you know that Piper is Thank not even in the building here. All right, Conrad, let's hit pause one more time because we want to welcome yet another partner, a new partner here at 83 Weeks. We're talking about Trade Coffee. Now, not a surprise to anybody, I am probably considered a coffee snob. I am very, very particular about the coffee I drink, and I should be because I drink a boatload of coffee. It's probably one of the reasons I have as much fun doing this show as I do, because I come fully powered with my favorite coffee. But one of the things I like about trade coffee, well, I'm going to tell you a whole lot more, but the vast selection of ultra high quality product from craft roasters around the U.S. delivered straight to my door. Trade's goal is to make every cup of coffee your best ever. Now, the journey to your perfect cup, it starts with taking their coffee quiz. For example, you use a French press, maybe an automatic drip. Perhaps you're a cold brew person. Doesn't matter. No problem. Your answers will allow Trade to pair you with the perfect coffee that will fit your taste. Trade will match your coffees that you love from 400 plus craft coffees and will send you a freshly roasted bag just as often as you like. You give Trade your feedback as your preferences evolve. Trade learns more about what you like. Your coffee matches will too. It's a perfect way to get the perfect match for the perfect cup of coffee. You can feel good about each cup since Trade partners with 55 over 55 small U.S. base roasters who are committed to both ethical and sustainable sourcing. 
I love Trade Coffee. I love the fact it gets delivered to my door. I love the wide variety of coffees that are available to me. And I love the fact that they're matching my particular tastes and the things that I like with some of the best coffees out there. You're going to love it too. So for our listeners, right now, Trade is offering your first bag free and $5 off your bundle at checkout. To get yours, go to drinktrade.com forward slash 83 weeks. Use the promo code 83 weeks. Take the quiz and start the perfect journey to the perfect cup of coffee. That's drinktrade.com forward slash 83 weeks, promo code 83 weeks for your first bag free and $5 off your bundle. Ah, enjoy. Mm, That was good. Now, let's get back to the show in three, two, one, play. So this is when we're still trying Ted DiBiase and what is going to become the Eric Bischoff role. And Lord knows I love me some Hulk Hogan. He is the reason I'm doing this podcast. Such a super fan of his, uh, can't say enough nice things about Hulk Hogan and, and how important he was to my fandom. And I thought it was a really fun promo, but it did probably go a little too long. They really did need to get in there. I was thinking the same thing. It, it less is more brother. That if that one would have been about a minute, minute 30 shorter, it actually would have had more impact. I agree. Because in a lot of the stuff that he, that Hulk said in that promo, it was all really good stuff, but it was scattered about. And in between some of those really great points and, and advancing his character and the story and the situation, there was just a lot of stuff that kind of took you out of it, you know, and, and, and he got back into it and he'd take you out of it and he'd put you back into it. But yeah, you would have taken about a minute off that. It would have been a minute and a half. It would have been powerful. I always felt he played or, or, better off of someone. Would you agree with that? Say that again, but I always felt he, he, he did better when he played off of someone. Absolutely. And that was one of the reasons why, not the biggest reason why, but one of the reasons why it made sense for me in that role, Hulk always had, you know, mean Gene Okerlund, you know, I, I, and I don't know this. I've never talked to Hulk about this, but I've gotten the impression in talking to Hulk over the years, because we had so much, you know, common ground with the AWA shared experiences, even though not at the same time. But I think one of the reasons that Gene Okerlund had such a profound impact as an announcer was really because Hulk relied on Gene. Yeah. Hulk needed, as you pointed out, he needed to play off someone, but he also needed someone to keep guiding him from going off track. He knew that. And, and one of the reasons why Hulk and I worked so well together is because when it came time to laying out a promo, we could kind of go back and forth and improv it. And we just talked through, we wouldn't write shit down. None of that stuff. But I would play a role or he, you know, he'd be obviously playing his role, but I could help him shape his promo. And then when we got into the ring, much like Gene Okerlund did, I'm sure I'm absolutely positive. I'd bet everything on it. You know, Hulk relied on Gene to kind of keep him focused and on track during that promo. And that was my role in, in, in NWO, one of them and why it made sense. Absolutely. Good pickup on that. He, if he didn't have somebody to play off of, it wasn't his comfort zone. Not that he couldn't do it, but it wasn't his comfort zone. I know you've told us before that you didn't watch ECW. Uh, Sling Blade is our referee here for uh, Lex Luger. And I believe they're calling him Roadblock here. Uh, I'm not sure. Let me see if I can find that. I should know that. It should be in my notes. But Lord, this guy was a monster in, uh, in ECW. 
Once upon a time, he was out there as, oh, he's, he's known as tombstone here. That makes more sense. I was like, it can't be roadblock tombstone is his, uh, his, his WCW name. Nine one one was his ECW name. Did you ever see nine one one in ECW at all? Does that ring a bell at all? I, I did not. So just so you know, Eric, I think you would have liked the idea. Let's say there was something happening in the ring and the fans hated it. Like it was intentionally not good. Someone was getting the wrong kind of heat. Paul Heyman would play the Edgar winter groups, Frankenstein. Let me play a little bit of that for you. And out comes this big motherfucker and just choke slams everyone in the ring. And that's the whole segment. There was no match. There's what no way other. to get a guy over though. Right. It was tremendous. And we fans loved it because we'd be like, oh God, this is awful. But that song hits and we're like, oh shit, he's going to clear house. Really great stuff. And then of course he gets a job here and he's having a regular match with Lex Luger, which again, he's probably a great guy, probably a, a very capable wrestler. But this isn't what I wanted him to do, right? I wanted him to come out, choke slam everybody, and leave. And now we've got him wrestling Lex Luger, which shows that WCW has all the capacity in the world to sign whoever they could because Lord knows he's making a much better living for him and his family here than he ever did in the ECW arena. But man, the the positioning of that character was just awesome. Yeah, and hats off. I know we joke around a lot, or at least I do, about Paul Heyman and, and ECW. But the, the the way you laid out um, Roadblock's character uh, in ECW, that was pretty freaking brilliant. I mean, that's you're getting a guy over without having a referee or a bell involved. Yeah, and that's great character work. So hats off to Paul Heyman. He, he uh, every once in a while, he can come up with a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, I want to mention this is a, a sold out crowd here. 4,900 fans in Macon, Georgia. This is the highest grossing event in the history of the Macon Coliseum, not just for wrestling, but any event, nobody had ever drawn more money than they did on this particular night. And again, it's only 4,900 folks. And you're probably thinking, well, what was the gate? It had to be some huge amount, 63 grand, a different time, a different place, but this is a new record. And here's something else, a little trivia note here. Nitro started at 7.55, not 8 p.m. And you're probably wondering, why the hell did they do that? Because Raw was trying to get the jump on Nitro. They started their program at 7.57. So what does Eric do? Fuck it. I'm going two minutes earlier. I love that. This is the true Monday Night War. Well, now that's a war. Yeah. That's a real war. Yes. It's not some fucking nudge sitting in a room in front of his computer trying to come up with some kind of analytic story here, diving into fractions of numbers that actually don't mean anything in the real world. That was a real, like, knockdown, drag out, you know, punch, counter punch kind of fight. War. That was fun. And the audience loved it. And the other thing I was just thinking about six months earlier than this, right? Scott Hall comes down in this very arena. That was a flashpoint. Oh, look at this. Here comes the big show. Boom. Saved by the ropes. You're not kidding. The turnbuckle saved him. 
I want to just add context to the giant character at this point, because Luger has been working for several seconds here, trying to get him down and it hasn't happened yet. They're trying to prove there it is that Lex Luger could rack the giant. Now he just gets him up just for a moment before Holland Nash clear the house, but really pretty smart booking. I know I was critical because I love the nine 11 character, but using tombstone, uh, uh, just as big of a man in theory, maybe not quite as big, but still a monster of a human being. If Lex Luger can rack him, well, it stands to reason that Lex Luger could put the giant in that same position, his devastating finishing maneuver. That's well-established. And this is before the giant became a punching bag. Once upon a time, he was sliding down the cards, but at this point, if he's in there, he's choke slamming somebody he's getting the win. And, uh, it's a nice way to tell the story and help sell that pay-per-view as far as a go home episode for a pay-per-view. This is so far a damn near masterclass, Eric. Great job on this show. Yeah. There's a great team behind it. Kevin Sullivan had a lot to do with that. Everybody had a lot to do with that. That's the one thing about nitro at this point. I've talked you know, in previous episodes about the morale and the buzz in the locker room. And again, going back to what WCW was, even when I first got there, uh, it, it wasn't a fun place to be, right? It was just bad. But at this point, the locker room went from being just, let's get through this day, you know, typical day-to-day wrestling nonsense, um, to a collaborative locker room. So when you see a, a story like this or, or action like this play out on the screen, know that it wasn't just Kevin Sullivan or Eric Bischoff or Hulk Hogan or any one person. It was a real collaboration, and that was fun. That's one of the reasons why it was so much fun, because it was an honest collaboration. And, it, you know, and the guys performing it you know, were more invested in it. And the audience, therefore, was more invested. It was just it's that perfect circle, man. It was awesome. We just saw a recap of what happened a couple of weeks ago. And then last week on nitro all with sting and the old fake sting, there's the decision that has to be made here. Who is sting with? And you see Arn Anderson going after him here. Nailing Arn Anderson and then Steve McMichael. Everyone stopped at this point. Sting was assaulting WCW members. Rey Mysterio jumps on his back. They're trying to calm him down. See, that's the dead giveaway. No New World Order guys jump Sting. The idea being, is Sting with us or is he against us? We just saw Sting uh, facing the uh, the Steiner brothers. And, of course, he's still silent. He's the Crow character, merely the, the early days of that. But fake Sting was right beside him, and they sort of positioned it as, hey, uh, what's going to happen they throw their bats to the Steiner brothers and turn their backs. Of course, fake sting is trying to think, yeah, we're together. Right. And then bam, he gets the old scorpion death drop. And here comes one of the most talented wrestlers in the world under a hood. He's wrestling here as Mr. JL in real life. It's Jerry Lynn. One of the nicest, most well-respected and beloved wrestlers in the history of wrestling. I think, uh, as we're recording this, he still lives right up the road in Nashville and is doing some behind the scenes agenting with AEW. Uh, he is a, a salt of the earth individual in my experience. And I'm sure you had the same experience, Eric. Yeah, I did. I, I do, I should say. And I did have the opportunity to, uh, have a cocktail or two with Mr. Lynn last spring when I did, a uh, an appearance in AEW. And it's really one of the first times that Jerry and I had a chance to just sit down and talk, you know, when we weren't 
in the middle of producing a show. So it was uh, it was fun to visit with him, and I, and I echo every sentiment you just expressed about Terry. He's a really, really solid human being. And as if that isn't enough, who's he going to be wrestling? Ray Mysterio Jr., the human highlight reel. I know once upon a time that was Dominique Wilkins' slogan, but goodness gracious, anytime Ray Mysterio was on TV in 1996, it was must-see TV, and this is going to be another example of that, I'm sure. And this is where I think, you know, I'm sure Ray would disagree with me on this, but from, from my perspective as a viewer, as a fan, even as someone in the business, I think this was peak Ray Mysterio right here. Oh, for sure. And and, and he yeah, made I mean, a lot he, more money after this, but as far as just the, what did I just see the shock, the, the, uh, the sound and the fury, as Jr. might say, of Ray Mysterio here is unbelievable. You've never seen anything like the, the stuff he's doing now. Now, what you're seeing now, man, you could probably see on any given Wednesday. But goodness gracious, in 1996, he was so far ahead of his time. He was, and and and, and so was Eddie, and and I mean the entire cruiserweight division, I, I, I think, was in that category. But Ray was at the top. You know, and if you look at right now, you know, he was lighter here. You know, he was younger. It happens as you get older, you get heavier. Right. And I think Ray wanted to put on some size when he got to the WWE because it is what it is. But, uh, I think a lighter version of Ray Mysterio was visually more fun to watch than the heavier Ray. And I honestly, I think putting on the extra weight probably made him a little more prone to injuries because you can put on all the muscle weight you want. Um, you still have the same ligaments and tendons and architecture that you were born with. You can't train that. And I think once Ray got as big as he got and just the type of the style of wrestling and the impact it had on his body, it slowed him down towards the end of his career. Like it would for anybody. But that's why I like watching Ray back at this time. Cause he was still, he looked like he was 18 years old. You know, he's still young enough and lean and fast. It was fun to watch. Him. It's still fun to watch him, but more fun then. There's going to be an interesting moment for Ray after this too. I mean, for the most part, Ray had been primarily, Hey, let me impress you with my in-ring ability. But after the match, he's going to go over to the announce table and uh, make a statement that we're going to definitely want to track, uh, because it's critical for WCW storyline purposes. But it's, it's so fun to watch wrestling in this era for me, for a variety of reasons. Number one, this is before the sign era. Everybody's not trying to get themselves over with some sort of silly saying and a permanent marker and man, there's not a cell phone in sight. Nobody's scrolling social media. Nobody's trying to take video on their phone. People are just enjoying the show and they're hanging on everything. These guys are doing. I mean, they have captivated the audience here. Which once upon a time on the other channel, they didn't think guys this size could do that. Whether it was Chris Benoit or Eddie Guerrero or Ray Mysterio or Jerry Lynn. And, and in actuality, are any of these guys that much smaller than Shawn Michaels? No, but it just felt like there were sort of, uh, I don't know, two sets of rules and you guys are sort of throwing the rules uh, out the window. And I know there's criticism over the years of, oh, but there was you know, different tiers in WCW and we couldn't break through the glass ceiling. That's a conversation for another day. A lot of guys got their first national exposure and their first big breaks because of WCW. So to look back and be critical of that to me is a little sour grapes. 
Yeah, I don't know if it's sour grapes or not. It, it, everybody's different. You know, I had a conversation with Chris Jericho not long ago. Well, maybe it was a while ago, a year or so ago, um, where where we talked about, you know, when Chris left and went to WWF and where his head was at and his expectations were. And Chris admitted to me, you know, I thought I was ready to be on top in WWE. And once I got to the top of WWE, I realized how far I had to go before I was really ready to be on top, something to that effect. Acknowledging that you, you thought you were ready for that big opportunity on that big platform. And then you get there and realize you don't know nearly as much as you thought you did. And you've got some work to do in order to stay there. And I think that was probably true with a lot of this, the, the talent like Ray Mysterio and others. There's many, many, many more who in their minds, they thought they were ready and maybe in many respects were, but just didn't quite have that, connection to the audience that you need to be in that spotlight. Technically, were they capable? Probably more capable than a lot of guys that were in the spot that they wanted, but they hadn't been there long enough, didn't have the relationship with the audience. And that was, that was something that was hard to explain to the talent because from a talent's point of view, what's well then put me in that spot and I'll have that relationship. It's a chicken and egg thing sometimes, but regardless, I'm really grateful for, the opportunity to work with these guys and to I'm glad we made the decision to feature cruiserweights and make them such an integral part of the show, because I didn't know how effective it was going to be going in. I didn't have a crystal ball. I didn't, you know, I just thought, man, let's just try something different. And bam, it's, I think influenced the industry as we see it today. Man, what a fun match. These guys are having a really competitive match, especially considering they're only getting six minutes and one second here. So we gotta be getting uh, close to the finish here. Let's track a little bit of the action and see what the uh, commentary sounded like. He's trapped in by his own size. JL going up top and that is given Ray Mysterio the chance up on. Look at this, which over the top sends him down. Mysterio will cover one, two, and he'll pin it. I mean. It's hard to describe what we just saw, and this is not new. You know, Mr. JL was on the top rope. Ray's going to jump up and balance himself on the top rope next to the turnbuckle. The After he's been wrestling at a very fast pace for about six minutes, which makes it even more amazing. And then jump on uh, Mr. JL's shoulders, facing the same way as Mr. JL, then spin around, turn it into a top rope Hurricane Rana for a pinfall. I mean, a human highlight reel in 1996. Nobody had seen anything like this before anywhere. It's freaky to go back and watch this. And I mean, <laughs> these guys got to be a little tired. They worked a pretty fast pace. Yes. Talk about being in shape and then to be able to get up for Ray to be able to get up after he's been basically sprinting for six minutes to, to be able to get up and be that athletic and maintain his balance. I just, I'm blown away. I'm blown away. Let's take a listen here. here at the set with us, Ray Mysterio Jr. has walked over to us here. He's kind of limping over. That was a tremendous match, my man. Congratulations. Here, here. Let's let's. Is this Mike okay? Can we use this for him? Okay. What's up, Tony? There's one thing. Everybody's saying that Sting is going to join the NWO. Well, that he has joined the NWO. That's a rumor. Started from NWO. That's not true. Last week, I jumped on Sting's back. We saw that, yeah. What he did, his reaction, 
His reaction was normal. Not like what Kevin Nash did when he threw me into the trailer. Right. Back this past summer, I remember that. Or when the giant picked me up with one hand and he threw me out of the ring trying to end my career. Okay, World War III. Sting, if you're listening, I know you're not gonna betray us just like Hogan did. Tony, one thing, can you please replay that tape one more time so the people and so you could see that Sting did not try to hurt me? He wasn't trying to hurt me. Sting reacted normal. Sting is WCW. You talking about Sting, Hero Videotape? That's right. That's right. Could you please replay that tape? Can we do I it? I would like to see it. I, I'm sure we are looking for it right now, Ray, but certainly. You know, I hate to tell you, Ray, but the dreams of youth are the nightmares of when someone gets older. You've got to face the facts and realize exactly what Sting did. He turned his back on everybody. He did not turn his back on everybody. He was in backup. I jumped on his back, and he reacted like any other person would do. He didn't know it was me. When he knew it was me, that's when he just decided to let me go. Ray, we do have that videotape. Please play okay, it. Okay, let's play it for you, for everyone here who's been chanting Sting's name. Let's take a look. It aired a couple weeks ago. So now we go to a Sting package. But, you know, that's kind of a cool little segment for Ray because... We don't normally get a bunch of quote unquote story with Ray. We just get that high, high flying, high, fast paced action. So I, I thought that was cool. We get to see the real life Ray Mysterio a little bit. And what I liked about it is it wasn't scripted. Yeah. Obviously we told Ray what we needed done and Ray completely understood it. Um, without even having to be told, he knew what the story was guided him through it a little bit, pointed him in the right direction, and let him speak in his own voice. We weren't putting words in Ray's mouth, so it didn't sound like a promo. It felt as authentic and real as it possibly could because it was in Ray's own voice. That, there, I mean, said it to you last week, television is nothing more than a bunch of really, really well-polished details all put together. And one of the details, and I think one of the reasons why AEW's promos, for example, are much more authentic than the ones you get in, in WWE, is because they're real. allowed to speak in their own voice. Yeah. Well, welcome back to our number two here. Let's listen to Tony sort of reset. I've seen him here tonight, and let's go back and think about what Hulk Hogan said earlier, Brain. Calling him out, calling him a coward. They can do these things when he's not around. Hogan is a liar. I've told you that. I've told the people out there that for years. If you want to believe him, go ahead. It's all propaganda. That's what the NWO stands for is propaganda. Don't turn your back to me. I'm talking to you. If you think Piper's in the building, you're mistaken. This is all propaganda courtesy of the NWO well, and that liar Hogan. Well, the NWO said he's here, but we know better than that. We haven't seen him. Once again, it's NWO fluff. It's NWO lies, if you will, to get us to believe that Piper will back down from Hogan. But, Mike, we know Sunday that will not be the case. Well, it's been the NWO's MO from the absolute outset. But what happens this Sunday when Hogan must face Piper face-to-face -face at Starcade? You want to see a pack of lies? We're going to take you back to segment number three. As you said, Hogan is a liar. Hogan came out here calling Piper out once again. All right, guys, listen up. I want to give you another little life hack. CBD isn't about what you feel. It's about what you don't feel, like stress or anxiety or pain or sleeplessness. 
Feels is just a better way to feel better. And CBD has really helped me in my life. I've got an old knee injury from way back when, and let's just say I used to know when it was going to rain. That is until I got feels feels is a premium CBD that will help you keep your head clear and feel your best. It's hassle free and it's delivered directly to your door. By the way, in case you've been sleeping under a rock, CBD naturally helps you reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. Notice I said natural. There's no hangover. There's no addiction. You just place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you feel the difference within minutes. Now, the thing to remember about CBD is that finding your right dose is important and really everyone's dose is different. So what feels has done is they created a free CBD hotline to help guide you through your personal experience to make sure you find your perfect dose. The feels customer service team is dedicated to making sure that you get the best use of your CBD. Joining the feels monthly membership makes your self-care routine easy. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel anytime. So start feeling better with feels. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash 83 weeks and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash 83 weeks to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off of your first order with free shipping. That's feels.com forward slash 83 weeks. How important is this, Eric? You know, in the ratings war that you're in, you know, the, we've always heard you want to start with a hot segment. So segment one when we first start the show needs to sort of set the hook for the viewer. And you definitely want to finish with something really strong. Historically, your ratings for your main event are through the roof. That's the highest rated segment, but this crossover, the changeover from hour one to hour two, you've got to have really strong stuff on either side of this. So we closed with sting hour one and we opened Hogan for the start of hour two. That's pretty important when you're formatting a live program like this, is it not? Yeah, we did. And honestly, Conrad, we formatted it like two one-hour shows yeah. to the best of our ability. Now, obviously, there was story and thread going through each one of those episodes. But the goal was, to to the extent that we could, we, mon- we wanted it to feel like two different shows so the audience isn't sitting there reminding themselves that they've been watching wrestling for two hours. No, you watch one wrestling show, and now you're watching another. And... And that was that crossover. You don't get to have a big main event. If you lose them in the crossover, they're gone. Once they leave, they're not very likely to come back. And if they do, they drop back here and there and just checking things out. So hooking them, holding them, and then delivering at the end was the format. And, and again, we tried to make it seem like two different shows. I, uh, I want to mention, uh, well, there's a lot of fun and interesting stuff that happens on this show, but, uh, up next is going to be Glacier and buddy Lee Parker. Meltzer would say it was a short match and not particularly good. There is a moment on commentary that we're not going to hear that. I just want to point out Mike today mentions that the 126 that's emblazoned on Glacier's armor was actually his dad's state trooper badge number. And Heenan says, oh, I thought it was the number of donuts Glacier's dad ate in a half hour. And the finish, and, and listen, we both really like the real life glacier, uh, great guy, but this character is probably a little too late to the dance. We've got all the realism of the NWO. And now we've got this sort of over the top presentation that is glacier. And you can see it's evolving as he's, you know, even changing his entrance up from when he first came in. But there's a moment in here where glacier is going to hit a, uh, spinning round kick. And as the story goes, that's supposed to be the finish, 
but unfortunately, Buddy Lee Parker kicks out. So Glacier being a young wrestler live on TV, what do you do? There's no dress rehearsal here. He does the same finish again, but this time he doesn't connect the kick as well, but he gets the pin. When something like that happens, it feels hard for me to blame Glacier. It feels like the heat would be on his trainer, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker. Am I wrong? You're hundred percent right. And I'm kind of pissed off about it. You know, why would a guy who is the trainer, yeah, the guy who's there teaching young talent, yes, not only the technical aspects of professional wrestling, but the psychology involved in it. And by the way, much respect to buddy Lee Parker for being good at what he was good at, but he was not a central character on television to kick out of an emerging characters finish. Fuck buddy. What were you thinking? I mean, this is fundamentally just screwed up. Really disappointed to hear that. I had no heat with buddy Lee Parker and certainly I don't hold this against him necessarily, but it flies in the face of any kind of fucking logic. Was buddy trying to get himself over? Did buddy Parker think, Oh my God, they've invested so much money in this glacier character. And here's my opportunity to get myself over. I can believe it. There's a lot of people that have that kind of mentality. But you wouldn't expect it out of a trainer. By the way, the real life Ray Lloyd in the real life, uh, that's Glacier, by the way, in the real life Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker, I think both still in the suburbs of Atlanta. I think Glacier is now doing some gym business and some other things. And I think uh, Sergeant Buddy Lee Parker is uh, in the construction business now. So they've moved on to uh, enjoy life after wrestling, which is always uh, something great to hear. I see Ray Lloyd uh, Glacier occasionally at conventions and different events and Comic-Cons and shit like that. He's still, I mean, we can laugh all we want, or in my case, I can admit that, you know, this was a a great idea at the absolute worst time, Um, but, or maybe a good idea at the absolute worst time. But here's the cool news. Wrestling fans are still, you know, Paying money to get Ray's autograph. Yeah, man. I mean, here's the thing. I did it. I wanted a picture of a glacier. It's a moment in time. And, you know, and he has a good sense of humor about it, you know, and ultimately, by the way, in any other gimmick, who knows what his career could have been. But with this one, it it was sort of what it was. We got to be getting close to the finish here. I hope so. (laughs) Let's, let's, uh, let's see if we can track it and and hear what's said. Inverted snap. That was a nice hook kick. Enziguri style kick to the back of the head. Buddy Lee stays with it though. He hooks Glacier. He had him for a moment. Buddy Lee doesn't have an idea what to do with this man. He's just too quick for it. He was lost when the bell rang. Kick to the side of the head. Picks him up. Oh! That'll rattle your Thanksgiving dinner. Variation of the tilt-a-whirl slam there. That's the cryonic kick. That one and a half spinning round kick. And Buddy got out of the crowd and kicked that time. But Buddy doesn't know where he's at. Oh, no. he, <laughs> he went back to it again. Got the high hard one inside. Well, you're not kidding. One, two, three. And there's no- that didn't look bad. No, that didn't look bad at all. The kick was really, I mean, that's a kick. If I, you know, if I could go back in time and be at ringside with Ray as they were laying this match out earlier in the day, I would not have advised him to throw those spinning kicks. He wasn't that. Spinning kicks are great when they're performed by smaller guys because they're faster you know ray was a solid dude he was a good 230 240 and just didn't have the 
speed in the acceleration to make a spinning kick of any kind really look that good. He should have stuck to side kicks, you know, straight front kicks. Round kicks are easy for a big guy like that, easy to make look good for, for wrestling. But you start spinning, you start doing 360 round kicks and things like that, and having to control the kick. It's different if you're at a bar and you decide you want to impress somebody and knock somebody out with a 360 spin round kick. That's one situation because you don't care how hard you hit them. But when you're in a wrestling environment and you have to control that kick and you don't want it to, you don't want to come up short and you certainly don't want to put anybody in a coma. So you have to really control that kick. And it's very, very difficult, especially for a bigger guy. Two for 40. If you buy a million of them, it's only $20 million. The preceding announcement has been paid for by the new world order. I'll never get tired of hearing that. <laughs> me neither it's so cool so happy holidays neil pruitt hey i want to mention something else that was in the observer and uh, we're going to be doing it over a match that i think we can probably maybe ignore a little bit it's the amazing french canadians and public enemy um it's a fucking disaster uh but either way though the the story in the observer that jumps off the page quote lots of news coming from a christmas party held at diamond dallas page's house which someone termed Silicon Valley since Kimberly had her stripper and modeling friends there. They actually taped an angle with the NWO and Bischoff was crashing his party and something that wasn't an angle. Apparently the former wrestler, Mark Ty Hildreth, AKA Van Hammer was there and began running down WCW for using little Mexican wrestlers. Given hammers ability as compared with the guys he was running down. He came off to most like a fool. Anyway, supposedly his spouting off went from Mexicans to British wrestlers, most notably Dave Taylor and Steven Regal. The end result was that since Regal was there, a confrontation ensued and Regal, who used to fight people in carnival since he was a teenager is the wrong person to rile up. Anyway, two headbutts later, Hildreth was knocked out on the floor. Apparently Bischoff, who was there was saying that Hildreth had very little chance of ever getting back in the WCW in the first place, but now he has no chance. So I think anyone who's been a wrestling fan with social media knows that diamond Dallas page absolutely loves holidays, Christmas in particular, he goes all out, throws a huge Christmas party every year for decades now. And I guess it became an opportunity for all the boys to get together. Do you remember this van hammer incident and, uh, Mr. Regal taking him to the woodshed. Yep. What can you tell yep. us about it? Is it pretty much accurate the way they've laid it out? I didn't hear the dialogue that led up to it. Saw the incident, not the buildup. I didn't hear Mark, you know, putting down Mexican wrestlers or anything like that, but I did see the incident and pretty much put two and two together immediately thereafter. Um, couldn't happen to a better guy or a more deserving guy. It was a stupid thing to say. And look, I got to be careful. I can revert back to some pretty basic reactions. Sometimes Mark had issues with alcohol and drugs. Yeah. People that have issues with alcohol and drugs tend to do stupid shit like this. It doesn't mean they're horrible people at heart. That's right. No, but it, alcohol and drugs when they're abused bring out the absolute worst in people. And that was a situation where 
Mark said some stupid shit and got exactly what he deserved. And I was very proud of Steven Regal. I wanted to ask you a couple of things about ECW. I bring it up because we see public enemy, another former ECW act. And boy, this is so over the top silly with Colonel Robert Parker dressed up like he's at Halloween. Um, the ECW organization debuted in this same month, December, 1996, not the new world order, which is the hottest thing in wrestling and the hottest t-shirt around. And really the, the shot in the arm, the whole industry needed ECW debuted the blue world order with the blue meanie big Stevie cool, or I'm sorry, the blue guy, you know who I'm talking about Nova Stevie Richards and the blue meanie. They're now the blue world order. I'm sure you at least heard of it back then. What'd you think of that? That, you know, Hey, there's a parody of us now on the quote unquote minor league. I kind of liked it. Yeah. I mean, how do you, how do you not? I agree. It's fun. It was, I, I dug at it. I still do. By the way, blue mini is, I follow blue media on social media. I encourage everybody to do so really good guy. Solid yes. human being. Agreed. Great sense of humor, by the way. Um, which I always enjoy in people, but, uh, no, I, I kind of dug it and I still get a kick out of it to this day. When I see blue Beanie post stuff with his BWO t-shirt on, I just, it makes me smile. Um, little known fact, Eric, I haven't even shared this with you, but, uh, Cassio kid, great friend of the show and morning show here, host here in rocket 95.1 in Huntsville. They have an advertiser for a, uh, a gentleman's club known as, um, Uncle Buck's Booby Bungalow. Uncle Buck's Booby Bungalow? Yeah, it's very rustic style. I don't know if you've ever been to the lodge in Dallas. But... I've never been to a rustic strip club. Well, that's what I've been this to is. Some shitholes in my life, but nothing I would describe as rustic. It looks like a cabin on the inside, according to what I've heard. I've never been, but of course. That's the gimmick. <clears throat> anyway, I bring this up because on Thanksgiving Eve, so the night before Thanksgiving, they didn't have mud wrestling. They didn't have oil wrestling in Alabama. This is real. They had biscuit and gravy wrestling. (laughs) So instead of throwing money at the ladies and the performers, I was not there. I had a house full, but I've heard that you would buy biscuits. So for $20, you get X number of biscuits. And then you throw the biscuits at the ladies as they have their wrestling match. Here's the reason I bring this up, Eric. I was told wrestle and gravy. Yes. Oh, like, like <laughs> breakfast gravy, the white, as we call it in the South sawmill gravy, but it's white gravy with like pepper in it. And you threw biscuits. I did not get to do this. Cassio joked that, uh, if he went, he would need Tommy John surgery. Anyway, the point is they sold biscuit world order t-shirts. That's, That's a real so thing. Awesome. All these That's years so- later, your, your silly creation would change wrestling and apparently adult entertainment. Even 25 years later, biscuit world order. That is so awesome. A cultural phenomenon to be sure. And get your biscuit world order t-shirt now at box If they can rip it off. So can we box. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. By the way, we're talking over this match and for good reason. Um, but public enemy looks great here, by the way. You know, there's nothing wrong with this match from that point of view, from their point of view. Uh, Quebecers just not moving my needle here, but the look at the crowd. If you're watching along, the crowd is into public enemy. It's great to see. 
And what's interesting too, is you think about this, you know, everyone's retired. Unfortunately, both the public enemy at this point have passed away, but everybody else is retired except the big guy. That's PCO who, uh, until most recently was a part of ring of honor, which is just crazy to think he's still going. Still going. Um, God bless him. Go forth and prosper young man. Well, not so young anymore, but prosper anyway. What the hell next up? We're going to have big Bubba and uh, Conan. They're going to go five minutes and 37 seconds. Meltzer would say it started out hot, but got sloppy as it went on. And that's something we heard a lot of times in this era. Well, something else I wanted to bring up, uh, the NWO has expanded. I think this is the first time we've had a nitro where there's like an an NWO or since the last time we did a watch along, there's new members of the NWO, Mr. Wall street, big Bubba Rogers, Scott Norton and Masahiro Chono. I want to discuss those and sort of break it down. Uh, I also want to mention you're now permanently out of the broadcast booth. So since you've turned and you're now a bad guy, uh, you're no longer a part of the broadcast team, which you have clearly identified at this point, since we're an hour two. but Mr. Wall street as a member of the NWO. Is that one you wish you had back? Yeah, that was just no, there was no reason for that. I don't know why I did that. Is it just the WWF thing? You felt like everybody knows him as IRS. This just makes no, sense. It, it wasn't even that. I know, you know, certain people are not going to believe me when I say that, but that, that wasn't even it. It was almost like, uh, well, we're not really doing anything with him. He's got some name value. Let's put him in the NWO. Because NWO was so hot that guys were getting over by association, which was another reason why we did it. That at least had some logic. Might not have been great logic, might not have been effective all the time, but at least there was a reason to do it. Um, but that even wasn't the case with Michael Wall Street. And I mean, no disrespect. I liked Michael Wall Street a lot. Liked working with him. He's he's a he's a solid citizen and a, and a real pro. But his character just was like floundering. It's like, okay, we'll put him in the NWO. Maybe maybe we can use him in the NWO and then have him on the Saturday night show. You know, whatever. That that was about that was about the extent of it. So we see Big Bubba coming out now, sporting the NWO shirt. What about this? The former Big Boss man, I guess in theory, the old takeover thing maybe makes sense. But do you regret this one? Is this a little bit like Wall Street? Wish you had this one back. Yes and no. Um, the idea was that NWO was taking over and that WCW as a whole was just becoming more and more and more NWO. So there, there was, that was another reason to kind of add people to it. But as a character, square peg, round hole, it was just not the right character, not, not the right role for, or Ray Trailer, he'd be so astounded, be like putting Jimmy Hart in the NWL for God's sake. It, in 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 a way, that's a compliment because Jimmy and Ray Trailer at the time, the audience identified them with a certain type of character that just didn't fit in the NWL. So, it, it, yeah, if if I had to do it all over again, if we were sitting at a table today and you asked me, you think Ray Trailer should be in the NWL? I would probably say no, but at the time I said, sure. Why not? The other members, as we said, Scott Norton and Masahiro Chono, I mean, it's probably important, uh, from a Scott Norton standpoint, but certainly from Chono, 
the NWO is going to become a booming business in Japan. So that's one you definitely don't wish you had back. Right? No. And by the way, those two, Scott Norton and Masahiro Chono, Masahiro Chono for business reasons alone, but even as a character, you look at Masahiro Chono and tell me he's not a badass that would scare you. Right. Yeah. You wouldn't want that guy staring you down in a bar. So he fit Masahiro Chono fit not only as a character, but clearly on the business side of things in Japan, Scott Norton as well, you know, because NWO, yeah, there were some badasses in NWO. Kevin Nash was the muscle. He was the badass. He was the heater, right? Scott was a chicken shit heel for the most part. Yes, he could go and he could do some damage, but when the pressure was on, Scott Hall often became more of a chicken shit heel in the, in that. Um, and Hogan of course was Hogan, but you needed, you need that heater. And another one. And Scott Norton was a believable heater. So I want to remind everybody, Nick Patrick is doing his whole heel referee thing in this era. And you see that he's got a little bit of an attitude because he's a referee wearing earrings, which isn't something that happened a lot. Tony Schiavone. This essentially becomes a handicap match here. He was getting a really favorable count. And you see now, since this is really Ray trailers, first time or big Bubba's first time having a match on TV as a member of the NWO, he's cheating, raking the eyes. The referee says nothing. When Ray gets thrown out, it's the world's slowest count. Conan tries to hold him accountable. And now you see that Nick Patrick's getting on to Jimmy Hart. Meanwhile, Ray is blatantly cheating. This is nice storytelling. I mean, if we're trying to establish that we have a heel referee and the fix is in and the NWO is, is paying guys off. This is a cool way to do it. It is. And sometimes, you know, you have to paint stories with fine detail, nuance, you know, mystery, leave people kind of thinking a little bit. And other times you paint a, you paint a picture or you paint a story with a very broad brush and you use very fluorescent colors so that it's easy to follow. For those people who aren't already following closely and engaged in the overall story, how do you how do you get their attention? You paint a brighter picture with broader strokes. And that's what we're seeing here. You know, it's it's overly simplistic in many respects. It's just basic one-on-one in-ring storytelling. But what do you know? Sometimes basic one-on-one storytelling is what you need. And that's what this is. And it's entertaining to watch. I want to add some context, uh, to, to what's happening in WCW. Uh, as we mentioned, this show is on the 23rd, the prior week, the show was in Pensacola, Florida. Then we did Montgomery, Alabama, Saturday night tapings two days later, the following day, we did Saturday night tapings at the Batwell auditorium in Birmingham, Alabama. That was the 19th. Uh, there would be a series of tapings done on the 22nd down in Orlando. Uh, for worldwide. And now we're here on the 23rd. Everyone is off until the 26th. We'll be in Anderson, South Carolina on the 27th. We're in Johnson city, Tennessee on the 28th. We're in Louisville, Kentucky. And then the big pay-per-view, a sold out crowd in Nashville on the 29th. So we're keeping everybody with the exception of that one little trip to Orlando. These are all easy drive shots. If you're based out of Atlanta. Yeah, they are. And again, that some of that had to do with costs and some of it just had to do with, okay, it's this time of year. You know, you just went through that schedule and I'm thinking, my God, you know, so much respect for talent, 
back in that day, not even as much in WCW because we we were we were touring pretty heavily, but not like WWE yeah. at that time. And when you just laid that out, I'm thinking, man, if I'm a talent, I'm working until the 23rd. I get to go home Christmas Eve, and I get to, guess what? I get to be with my family or friends on Christmas Day. But I've got to get to bed early because I've got a nine-hour drive tomorrow. <laughs> you know, that's or a flight, which is even worse. That's a tough schedule, man. And why I have so much respect for all talent that are that are touring to that extent. You know, obviously COVID has changed things dramatically, but when you look at I'm not gonna name names, but you look at people that have stumbled and had issues in the past. Um, because of the lifestyle, a lot of that just has to be with how difficult it is to be on the road that much. Yeah, it's yeah. tough, and you end up numbing yourself to it. Some people fall victim to that, so keep that in mind when you hear about people who are having issues. Um, it's a tough life. It's not as much fun for them as it is for you to watch. Well said. Saw a nice little exchange there. Jimmy Hart was just sent out of here from ringside. Oh, this is hilarious. Nick Patrick is going to DQ Conan for throwing Ray trailer over the top rope, but he didn't. He threw him between the middle and top rope, not over the top rope. But before that, he threw Jimmy Hart out for tripping Ray trailer, but he didn't, uh, not nice little story work here. And now it looks like Conan's got his hands on Nick Patrick, but what do you know? Big Bubba makes the save. How underrated. Was Nick Patrick? What a great performer he's doing! I mean, he's this is an incredible performance. So underrated. I was dying to say that, and you you beat me to the punch because it's true. I mean, I was thinking as you were talking, when was the last time that we've seen as we go back and watch all these shows? When was the last time that we've seen Nick Patrick not execute that character perfectly? Yeah, I mean the timing on that. Conan gets him, takes him back, race. I mean, obviously it's a very simple thing, but sometimes very simple things, you see them on television and they don't look that great. That looked perfect. That story, big, broad strokes, bright fluorescent colors, perfectly executed. Yeah, it wasn't something people will talk about for decades, but it was a very important, critical piece of the overall puzzle. I thought it was really well done on race part and Conan's part. Here's what's not so well done. Monday night raw this same night, head to head with you guys, Mark Merrow and Hunter Hearst Helmsley for a count out Rocky Mavia, who had just debuted at survivor series, beating Sal sincere, who was frankly an enhancement talent Piroth and cybernetico getting a win over the new rockers, Marty Jannetty and leaf Cassidy, no disrespect to Piroth and cybernetico, but they can't hand, hold a candle to the likes of Mr. JL or Ray Mysterio. And then in the main event, Bret Hart takes on the fake razor Ramon <laughs> and somewhere in here, we got the return of the honky tonk man after a six year absence. That's what's going on on Monday night raw head to head with this. So there's no wonder that WCW was so dominant as we see Dean Malenko come to the ring with that cruiserweight championship around his waist. I want to tell you about the ratings here. Nitro did a 3.1 rating and a 5.2 share. I just want to make sure we're drilling down to the audience exactly what the word share means. That means if there were a hundred people watching TV, 5.2 of them were watching this program. Think about that for every one in 20 people, more than one in 20 people watching television, they're watching nitro. 
Uh, the first hour was a 2.9. The second hour was a 3.3. Meanwhile, raw did its worst mark in history, not only for a raw show, but the lowest for any Monday night wrestling show dating back to TNT and primetime wrestling in the, in the early eighties, the show did a 1.5 rating and a 2.6 share nitro more than doubled Raw's rating overall and nearly doubled it in the head to head hour. In fact, the nitro replay did a 1.6 rating and a 3.5 share, which actually beat the initial showing of raw. So we often brag about the 83 weeks and talk about how important it is and how special it was, but this tells the story. The WWF is trying their best to, to establish Bret Hart as this edgy heel and Shawn Michaels. Is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? And Sid's the world champ and stone cold is now a thing and he's on the rise and they've tried to put a new, uh, coat of paint on the undertaker, but it's just, it's no match for the cruiserweights and the NWO and the storytelling and the live component. That's the thing we're missing here that we're not talking about. Raw has been taped at this point for a week and you're watching a live broadcast here for nitro. I don't think, and I know when you first said you're going live every week, McMahon was out front talking about how that was expensive and that was foolish and the production costs. You could never recoup that. And it was bad business in the end. It was the only way. And that's what they're doing to this day. Right. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. That's what I'm proud of right there. That's, I mean, that. It changed the business. And I'm, before you ended up with that, I wasn't sure where you were going, but I re, I'm old enough to remember. I'm old enough to remember when in my career, even where there was never much of a discussion in terms of the value of being live or tape. Yeah. It was, yeah, it was incidental. Yeah. It's better to be live. It feels cool, but nobody really put a value on it. Now I think people know people that follow know inherently that a live show is going to outperform a tape show just is by its very nature. Back then, no one was really thinking like that. It's, it's funny. And yes, I have to, you know, continually pat myself on the back, but there's certain things that even aren't creative. That's not creative. That's tactical, right? I, I, sometimes I'm more proud of the tactical decisions that went along with nitro and the NWO than I am with any of the creative ones. Of course. Hey fellows, this episode of 83 weeks is brought to you by our favorite producers of ball trimmers, manscaped the global leaders and below the waist grooming are leaving 2021 with a new product. Clean yourself into the new year with their ultra premium body wash. Also, here's a special offer alert. Use the promo code 83 weeks for 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. 4 million men already trust manscaped. So it's time to join them. You know, I asked Eric, what was the highlight of 2021 for him? And he told me, and I can reveal here now, becoming a grandfather. That's right. Garrett is a daddy, which makes Eric a granddaddy. And uh, he's looking forward to uh, seeing that little youngin running around in 2022 down in Florida. 2022 is on its way now. And the last thing you want to be is the guy with the pubes getting in the way of making this your best year yet. And really, a lot of us kind of agree. 2021 sucked. And that's why Manscaped is making a splash and upping your grooming game. Their signature lawnmower 4.0 is here to take care of every pube in its path. Can't believe this is real. Manscaped engineered the ultimate groin and body trimmer 
by focusing on intelligent functionality and incredibly comfortable grooming experiences. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce grooming accidents. Thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. Hey, it's even waterproof. This tool is amazing. I'm confident using the 4.0 to leave 2021 and my gross pubes with it. You know what else I'm confident about smelling like a million bucks. You may have been asking how, and uh, I'm glad you did. I use the manscape refined cologne serious business. It's the same signature scent that's in all of the manscape formulas. And it's a great compliment to your collection. Now check this out. Talking about being clean, feeling and smelling good. Got to be talking about the new ultra premium body wash from manscaped. It solves all three for the perfect addition to your daily grooming routine, but this time in the shower, I shower every day. And really, I hope you do too. This body wash is infused with aloe vera and sea salt to help your skin. Uh, keep feeling clean, nice, moisturize with manscaped. You'll be a brand new man and ready to kick all that gross hair and smell out with 2021. Use the code 83 weeks for 20% off plus free shipping at manscaped.com. I'm all in on confidence and smelling good this new year. So join me with manscaped Get 20% off and free shipping with the code 83 weeks at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code 83 weeks. Happy new years to your balls. And we're talking over an incredible match here. Uh, we've talked before. I, once upon a time, Dean Malenko was my favorite wrestler in the world. I don't think he ever had a bad match on TV. Here's William Regal, who, if, if you're even a casual wrestling fan, you can appreciate that his in ring style is unlike anything else that was on television at the time. So you've got two real innovators, as you see your, your friend, uh, the goofy Sonny Ono character coming out, but goodness gracious, we just had Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit open the show and oh yeah, let's sprinkle a little Jerry Lynn and Ray Mysterio. Hey, we're still not done. Now it's Dean Malenko and Steve Regal, man. I love me some Bret Hart, but give me that stuff over Bret Hart and fake razor every day. It's so much fun to watch Steve Regal because oftentimes, you know, Regal could work with anybody, Yeah, you know, but Regal style didn't work for everybody. Correct. So Regal would adapt to that style, you know, because that's how good he is and how capable he is. But when you see Steve Regal in a match like this with a guy like Dean Malenko, whose style is complementary to Steven Regal's style, that's when you really can appreciate the difference between the way Steven Regal grew up and learned the industry and the psychology and, and all of that. This is to me, this is classic. I love this. I this is what I miss. This is the reason why I don't watch a lot of wrestling anymore because not, not that all wrestling should look like this style of a match. I get that, man. I love the variety too. I love a comedic match. I love watching cruiserweight, high flying, crazy shit that doesn't make any real sense in the real world. That's okay. I like watching it anyway. But I also love watching this approach to give me a little. This is Billy Robinson to me. I'm watching Billy Robinson in 1971 right now. It harkens me back to that. You know, when I'm watching Dean Malenko, Dean Malenko was much faster and all, but, you know, I'm seeing a little bit of Vern Gagne here. The basic storage, Nick Bockwinkle even. I miss this stuff. I do. This is fun to watch. I'm glad you picked this one, man. This is great. Let's talk about uh, the demo. I feel like people really didn't start talking about the demo until AEW <laughs> became a thing, but let's do it here for this show. 
in women, 18 to 49 nitro beat raw 66 to 34% or almost double in men, 18 to 49 nitro had a 71 to 29% edge, which tells the entire story among kids. Raw did have the edge 56, 44, but nitro beat raw by a 45 or 55 to 45 margin. But people always talk about that all important 18 to 49 demo for men. And lately there's been talk of the females because for whatever reason, more women watch WWE than AEW. nitro won those both handily. Let's just talk about business too, in the month of December, and let's compare maybe where they were in 95 to where they are in 96. We'll start with the WWF. Their attendance is up 8.4%. So they're averaging 3,500 fans at the arena. Their average gate is up 21% to $59,788. And their But their television ratings on cable are down 23 and a half percent. WCW on the other hand, they're not up 8.4% in attendance. Like the WWF they're up 43.2%. That takes them to 3,911 fans. The average gate is up 87%, but only to $48,165. I just want to take a timeout right there and remind you that the average gate for the WWF with fewer fans is $59,788. Now the simple country math on that says the WWF was charging more for their tickets. They understood they could charge a premium or perhaps it was based on where they were running, meaning you can usually get away with a higher ticket price in the Northeast than maybe you could in the Southeast. And that is just based on the economics of the area. The cost of living is cheaper. The household income is less, et cetera, et cetera. But I also want to mention WCW selling out 28.6% of their house shows. That was almost never the case with the WWF and the average cable rating which we mentioned for raw or for the WWF program is down 23 and a half percent year over year. Meanwhile, WCW is up 9.5 WCW up WWF down everywhere except the gate, which I think is an interesting thing to break down because you got to wonder, was it pricing or was it just the area? What say you, Eric? I think it was probably both <clears throat> because the, the, and I want to get back to the women's demo and the 18 to 49 demo yeah. for a little bit, because it's a pain in my, it just always irritates me when I read some of the stupid shit I read online, but what's happening right now is we're watching it right on tape in December 23rd, 1996 W WWE was still operating from a tele from a creative perspective, they're still in, they're just now beginning to transition out of 1985 and they're, they're looking at what we're doing and going, okay, we got to put some edge on this stuff. Right. But they hadn't fully committed yet. They will shortly, shortly after this, um, less than a year after this, they'll acknowledge it, but business wise, they're still in the catbird seat in terms of the way they structured their, their touring business. So I don't think that there was anything that would have caused WWE a year previous to this show, for example, or even six months previous to the show to panic enough to go, okay, well, maybe we need to start dropping our ticket prices. 
you know, because WW, WCW is cheaper. You know, they're, they're emerging, they're getting popular. We're losing a little bit of ground on television. Maybe we need to adjust our price. They wouldn't do that. They would keep their pricing what it had been consistently for the years when WCW wasn't an issue. WCW, on the other hand, was not used to successful house show business. It was a new thing for them. So I think WCW was slow to price up, partly because of, for economic reasons, but we didn't only, I mean, this particular, you know, six-week period, we were predominantly in the Southeast, but we were beginning to expand that tour model. And I'm sure in some areas we did raise our price. You had to, because the cost of doing business is a lot higher in bigger cities, particularly when you've got union cities, Mm. you know, you get really high. But for the most part, WCW was really happy with where they were and didn't feel the need to raise the prices. Now let's go back to those demo things because it, it does it does irritate me to know and partly because it's so childish and obvious to me. But the reason nobody talked demos until AEW is because Dave Meltzer is a AEW surrogate for all intents and purposes, which is fine. By the way, I don't have anything against that. I don't want to make it sound like a shot. It's not. It's a good thing for AEW. Congratulations for that because it, it has value. But it is what it is. And let's not pretend it's not unless you're an idiot or you don't want to believe or you're so biased you can't allow yourself to recognize reality. There's a lot of that that goes on in the world of entertainment. Um, but somebody had, you know, at some point smartened Dave up to what a demo is. And why it's important. And I mean, recently, within the last couple of years, because there was no discussion about it before. Dave didn't understand it, didn't know what it was, wasn't really in the world, but just wrote and talked like he was. The reason Nitro was formatted, the reason Nitro is what it is or was what it was and became what it became was because I sat in a room with a fucking yellow legal pad and said, okay, how can I be different to WWE? Because I actually didn't understand ratings and demos. And Dave Mellis was the one, and I don't know why I'm bringing Dave into this, but it's a critical part of it. Dave recently, within the last year or so, said some, to someone that got published, it might have been on his whatever online thing, that I used to call Dave and ask Dave to explain demos to me. Oh, or ratings, because I didn't understand ratings. It's published. It's out there. Dave Meltzer's work, not mine. And I find that so funny because I had to learn what ratings and demos were in the AWA when I was representing the AWA in their syndicated television network. When I sat down with program directors or general managers, guess what we talked about? That was the focus of it, right? Which, whatever, it is what it is. It's just Dave telling more lies and trying to make, creating make believe. But when I walked out of Ted Turner's office in whatever month it was in 1995, probably the summer of 1995, and Ted said, go head-to-head with WWE or WWF, my job was sit down, do everything different than they could. The first thing I focused on was the fact that their show was created for teens and preteens. I knew I couldn't compete with that. So for reasons that were very specific and tactical, I decided to format our show to appeal to an 18 to 49 year old demo because back in 1995, I understood what that meant. Dave didn't wrestling online reporters didn't, you know, but people in television did and advertisers certainly did. Um, So that the, the, the newness or the awareness of the demo was not a manifestation of the change in anything other than the fact that Dave Meltzer 
somehow ran into somebody that explained it to him. And now he wants to take ownership of it. And that was what kind of participated, precipitated the whole conversation about demos. They've stumbled into it. Now it's a thing. I'm almost embarrassed that after all these great wrestlers we've had on this show, the main event is Jeff Jarrett. This is the main event. Yeah. I must've taken this night off. No, you're out here in the kilt in just a minute. Oh man. All right. Meltzer would say the finale. Well, that's the main the- event. That's the main event. <laughs> I love you for that. Come on. You saved the best to last, right? By the way, That's we talked over the finish of that Steve Regal match. Steve Regal and Dean Malenko went to a draw. Dave Meltzer gave it three stars, but they went to a draw. So, and he would call it a 10 minute draw. Of course, Dave Meltzer's got that pesky stopwatch out. It was actually nine twenty six. but the finale here, he would write, saw Jeff Jarrett, get his hand raised over Rick Steiner. When imposter sting came out, but Jarrett nailed him and pinned him and the referee counted three and awarded him the match which made no sense at all. So just to reset here, Rick Steiner came out with his brother, Scott Steiner, Scott Steiner's looking like he's uh, leather clad head to toe with a glorious mullet. And Rick Steiner looks like peak Rick Steiner. So Rick Steiner is wrestling Jeff Jarrett in the main event. And Jeff is going to get the win when he pins the fake sting. What the hell? I know it makes absolutely no sense. Of course, Tony is going to act like he's not sure it's staying. Of course, it's not staying. It's obvious that it's not staying. I think Tony and a lot of wrestling announcers over the years have lost a lot of credibility when they play dumb and sort of insult the audience's intelligence. I understand that it's a part of the story, but if it's very obvious what's going on and you're acting like, I don't know what's going on. Who is this? And in reality, everyone at home is like, geez, come on, man. It brings into question everything else they've said over the prior hour and a half, right? God, I hate to do this, but I agree with that. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm embarrassed as a result, but you're right. You're so right. I mean, there, <laughs> I don't know what else to say, man. Hit it right on the head. And, and the reason I'm stumbling here for words is because now I can think of a bunch of times when we've done that a lot. It happened a lot. And, oh, and here it is. Let's listen. Oh no. What is this? It's sting. No. Yes. Well, it looked at first glance. It looked like it, but based on what happened last week, that sting. I don't know what the hell just happened, but the fake sting walked out. Tony said it was sting. Bobby Heenan said, no, apparently Tony hit him in the knee and he said, yes, it is. And anyway, he has, uh, the scorpion death drop set up for Jeff Jarrett, but Rick Steiner just gives him the Steiner line and Jeff sits on him and pins him. And that's it. Scream. We want sting. There's a man who looks like him down on the mat. I'm not so sure it is him. Do not touch your dial. So we're going to come back for the last segment. And this is where we get to see, uh, really one of the reasons that we helped pick this show, but what a weird finish. What a weird exchange that, that was. That finish was so bad. Yeah. That I'm when, when this show is over, I'm going to get my little box of Wabi whiffs, you know, that's that, that 
powerful product that's out there today where you can just make sure that when you go in and take a dump, you don't stink up the whole house. Wobbywhips.com, promo code 83 weeks. That match was so bad that I'm going to have to break out the Wobby Whiff, Wobby Whiff for my office. That's how bad this, it still stinks up a room. By the way, 25 some odd years later, it still stinks up the room. W-A-B-I-W-H-I-F-F-S. I had to look that up. Wobbywhiffs.com. Uh, and this is uh, some of your old friends from WCW behind this poo-poo, and they should have been behind that creative just spraying away. Yeah. Yeah. Donna Seaman, she used to work for us at WCW, friend of the family, been out to the house, good friends with Lori and Janie Engel and Liz. And, um, but yeah, her and her sister created wobbywhips.com. So if, if you've got a friend whose shit doesn't stink, tell them it does and hit them with some wobby whips over the holidays. Or if you want to convince people that your shit doesn't stink, take along a little travel pack with you and people will go, I don't believe it. Hulk Hogan's got the mic. Here we go. Oh, well, you know, I told you so, man. I told you so. I just got the Western Union letter from Roddy Roddy Piper. And for all you people that believed in the Roddy one, for all you people that thought we might have the war that didn't settle the score, Roddy Roddy Piper dropped down on his knees and he verbally wrote Hollywood Hogan, had it specially delivered in the back, that yes, Hogan, you are the icon. Oh. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, 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 yes. You're a lot greater than I ever dreamed I could ever be. Oh, oh. how can this be? He's not here. SNWO playing his music to rub it in. Piper? Could it be Piper? He's not here. He's here. Look at That's not Piper. Oh, you got it, kid. This is sick. <laughs> Boy, talk about a McLoser. Eric Bischoff coming out with a kilt in the plaid. And he's got, what kind of a shirt is that he has on? Is that a Hulk Hogan shirt? That's an old Hulkster t-shirt, yep. So uh, this is sort of fun. And and don't forget, I know some of our listeners are probably thinking, why would they end with this? Guys were six days away from Hulk Hogan versus Roddy Piper at Starcade 96. So what a better way on the go-home show to sell the main event than mock Roddy Piper. Let's take a listen. Just when you thought you knew all the answers, I changed the questions. This is sad. It's not even a good imitation. You know, I did about 180 miles an hour down I-16 right here in Macon. When I heard you challenge me in front of all these people, and I came here to tell you one thing, that can't wait, cannot wait. Until the 29th. Hogan, I had no right to be in the ring with you at WrestleMania. And there's no way in the world that I can beat you. No. 
I know that. We are And powerless. I also know that I have a family. Six, count them, six kids. And a ranch I can barely afford. <laughs> and if you do to me what you do to everybody, I'll never be able to earn another dollar to feed that family. <laughs> so I'm going to make it easy on you, Hollywood. Get me a referee out here. We're going to do it right now. Right here. No more. No whoa, more. Whoa, Roddy Piper. No more talk. No, no, no. You forgot to do that cute little yeah. sissy thing with your finger whenever you talk. We asked you know, for a referee. We got Nick Patrick. to be a man's man. All right. We're going to do this right here, right now, for this crowd. Referee, are you ready? So Nick Patrick just ran in. Minute, Piper. Our I'm going to fight him with my microphone. Right here, right now. Our sport has reached a... And now you just laid down. Oh, something for all you Piper fans. I'm not even calling this stuff. That That's where the finger poke of doom came from. Of Roddy Roddy Piper. Sorry. <laughs> and Hogan, I have always been a Hulkamaniac. You are the man. Who bought your house for you? You did. Who fed your kids? You did! Whose coattails did you hang on to? Yours! Yes, who is the great... Uh-oh, 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 it's right. You know, it's right in front of us, would you... Now there are actual bagpipers marching out past the announce desk. <laughs> A whole lot of them. Look at the expressions on their faces. It can only mean one thing. Yeah, you two guys have a chance to run. Is, is he here? He, I don't know. This is awesome. Knowing Piper, you just don't what know. What a mean event. They know something. They're worried. Bagpipes, snare drums, bass drums. Six days before Starcade. By the way, I love me some um, bagpipe music. We've got a bagpipe band uh, north of us here in Billings called Caledonia Pipes and Drums that come out to the a house on the 4th of July and play bagpipe music. Oh, dude, you've never know. heard Happy Birthday until you've heard it out of a bagpipe. That's awesome, dude. Here he is. I like the look of this. There he is. Roddy Piper. There's the Roddy one. There is Roddy. Roddy Piper. It's like Braveheart. Live. Here on Nitro! He's going to the ring! Look at his eyes! This is where the idea for Braveheart came from. We don't have to wait! It came out before this. Here oh. we go! Well, maybe I stole it from him. I don't know. On Nitro! Oh, yeah! Oh, yeah! Now, what you gonna do? Look, he struck it off! Here we go. NWO's hit the ring. Wall Street and Big Bubba are here holding Piper back. It's the NWO C squad as Hogan unloads. Oh, look at them. And there's Sting in the rafters watching on. Sting is once again in the rafters. Just watch it calmly. What can be going through his mind? Is the NWO. I love this. Or what? As they look at. Hogan's whipping him with a belt. The entire NWO surrounded the ring. Trash is raining in. Security 
troops are headed into the ring. The security into the ring. This, I, I love this. These two. This is so good. This is how you produce a show. The emotion. Look at that crowd. Look at that garbage. Over closing credits. And you can't wait to see what happens next. Oh, my God. Let me pick up the phone and call my friends and tell them. Oh, this is awesome. Dude, is that like a damn near fucking perfect nitro or what? Yeah, it was. It Look, there were some holes in it. Let's not kid ourselves, but who doggy that was good. I, I mean, here's the thing. It's, it's such a hot finish. I don't even care about, I, I kind of forgot for a moment about the Jeff Jarrett staying thing. Like there was a couple of matches in there that, okay. Yeah. We could have segments we could have done away with, but by and large, dude, it checked all the boxes. The good so far outweighed the bad. What a great time to be a wrestling fan. And you know, none of this happens without you, dude. And I don't know that. You get your flowers often enough, but, uh, bravo concert. What a great show It's Well, thank you. But it's just, it's so, how often do you get to watch something from 25 years ago and go, wow, that's really refreshing. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> this, this whole show was refreshing because it's such a perfect example of how format and a little bit of vision and, and, and a decision, a conscious decision, decision to be different and just watching it all come together. And like I said, the beginning of the show, there's the collaboration, man, that made it work. And I'm not just talking about the top talent, Craig Leathers, Neil Pruitt, David Crockett, you know, Keith Mitchell, people that you don't, you don't normally hear about. Um, everybody was in, everybody was pitching ideas and it just came together so well. God, it just makes you feel good. Doesn't it? It was incredible. And six days later, you had a sold out crowd in Nashville paying $113,000. That was a 9,300 or 9,030 in attendance. The pay-per-view did a 0.95 buy rate, which is 380,000 buys. Uh, these days, when somebody sells a hundred thousand pay-per-views, people are celebrating like they won the lottery and this show did 380,000. The opening match six days later, Ultimo Dragon and Dean Malenko. Wow. Then Akira Hokutu and uh, Medusa. Then Jushin Thunder Liger and Rey Mysterio Jr. And then Jeff Jarrett and Chris Benoit. Then the Outsiders and the Faces of Fear. Then Eddie Guerrero and Diamond Dallas Page. Then Lex Luger and the Giant. And then Roddy Piper and Hulk Hogan in the main event. Man, what a special time in WCW. We're going to get to that show, do a fun little watch along at the end of the year to celebrate the 25th anniversary. But I wanted to mention something else and I saved it for last because you did an interview with the Charleston post courier, your old friend, Mike Mooneyham, who was a staple of professional wrestling for so many years. And it was about the time you had a job interview with Vince McMahon quote. In June of 1990, I was down there for an interview and audition and talked to Vince for probably half an hour. He doesn't remember it. Perhaps he engaged in some of his admitted chemical activity during that time, but I was there. He was there. And in the same article, you said the nonsense and perception of reality that Vince McMahon, a guy who was admitted to using steroids to try to beef up what was an otherwise scrawny, frail little individual. I think when he wakes up in the morning. He looks in the mirror and sees that 80 pound bird face punk that nobody wanted to play with 
and he has to deal with that every day. And that's the way he's trying to deal with us trying to create this perception. And I just hope people are smart enough to see through this nonsense and deal with the reality. And of course, Meltzer would comment as if the lawyers aren't busy enough as it is, but man, when you're, you're selling out arenas and you've got double the ratings, double the ratings, it's not even close. You have to be, I mean, you feel fucking 10 feet tall here. Do you not feel pretty good? Not going to lie. It was a wonderful, wonderful experience and I'm grateful for it. But as you're reading that back to me now, I get, you know, Mike Mooneyham was a wrestling announcer so I, or a wrestling writer. So I didn't feel like obligated to not be in character. Right. So I used it just like I would any other format to promote, you know, my company, um, and, and to create controversy. And clearly I was on my game, 80 pound bird face punk. (laughs) Sorry, Vince, but it was good. It was great. And what a great show. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. You know, Eric, it's a function of us doing podcasts every single week. We're going to do at least 52 of these before you count all the bonus episodes and whatnot. And sometimes you know, we, we, we do a show because, well, we're, we're doing a show. We're trying to service our audience, trying to service our advertisers, trying to celebrate an anniversary. And sometimes the shows are, are fantastic. And sometimes they're just sort of there. Uh, and, and it was a fun way to pass the time and hopefully get you through your day and give you a fun distraction to, you know, just the, the ills of the world. But buddy today, this was like one of the most fun watch alongs I remember doing with you. This was a great time in my fandom. And watching it back just feels like, I don't know, grandma's home cooking or something. This was great stuff, dude. And I can't thank you enough for making time to do it today. Oh, no. And, and thank you for choosing it. it. It is a perfect time, right? It's holiday season. Families are getting together. Friends are getting together. It just changes the vibe, you know, from our day-to-day existence throughout the year. And uh, watching this right around the holiday season, as I'm getting ready to head to Florida and be with my family. Um, perfect. Macaroni and cheese for my heart. We're going to have to ask Jeff about that whole, uh, situation with sting and the Steiner brothers. Uh, I know we're going to be together on January 29th at Eric and Jeff live.com. It's in St. Louis, the same day as the Royal rumble, pick your tickets up. We're going to have lots of stories. We can't tell here on the podcast for a lot of obvious reasons, but I want to hear about TNA. I want to hear about WWE. I want to hear about the story behind the story that sometimes We don't necessarily want quoted in every wrestling website. We don't necessarily want it on YouTube forever. You're going to get that experience and you can ask the guys anything you want, including a cool opportunity to get your picture with both guys, get autographs from both guys, get them to go ahead and sign. Maybe something at your house, maybe one of the old title belts or what have you. It's all happening at Eric and Jeff live.com. Not Jeff and Eric live. I don't know why he even suggests that, but this was fun, man. And I'm looking forward to next week. I guess I should give a peek behind the curtain. I will not be here next week. I am headed out of town, but you are going to be with Mr. Bromwell talking about Goldberg's 1999. And what an interesting year that is just to give the context. We start 1999 with Goldberg fresh off of his loss. So he would have just lost to Kevin Nash, been electrocuted by the quote unquote shock stick from Scott Hall. And now there's that controversial angle that maybe we wanted to do. Maybe we didn't. Then the finger poke of doom. 
And now we've got to figure out what do we do with Goldberg once he's not this dominant, unbeatable champion. And we'll carry that through August before Eric decides, you know what? Time to go fishing. Uh, but it's going to be an interesting show. I mean, I think this could be a real sleeper episode. Goldberg's 99. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. You know, and that was, you know, we talk about, you know, this was a great transitional period for WCW. Well, 99 was a very transitional period for WCW in the exact opposite way. And Bill Goldberg was right in the, uh, right in the nucleus of it all, right in the center of it all. So yeah, looking forward to that. Hey, it's been a while since I've done a show with Paulie B. He's great to work with. So I'm going to miss you, Conrad, but I'm looking forward to connecting with Paulie B again. You know, we, uh, we joked uh, earlier that we like to watch wrestling together, uh, and it doesn't happen very often, but you told us last week here on the show, it's not like it's exactly Mrs. B's favorite thing to watch on TV. So a lot of times when you wind up watching wrestling, it's when she's running errands or, you know, you're by yourself, but we're going to watch wrestling together. And I think we should watch Starcade 96, maybe invite Cassio kid over, throw us on a few mics. Let's have a little fun and watching the good old days, 25 years ago, Starcade 96. We'll throw it up on adfreeshows.com. Hope you guys have a great holiday season. I will be back after Christmas, but before you get there, Goldberg's 99 with Eric Bischoff right here on 83 weeks. We'll see you guys next week, right here on 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff. John brings his skewed sense of humor. Jeff brings tips to cut strokes off your next round together. It's those weekend golf guys. They'll pay a lot of money to PXG and Titleist and Callaway and on and on and on. Right? How many yards do you think you're going to pick up with that extra driver? I think I can get an extra 5 to 10. What if I give you 15 to 20? <laughs> you pay me more. Jeff Smith right? teaches on the sliding scale. <laughs> those weekend golf guys, the podcast, part of the Believe Network. Just search B-L-E-A-V on YouTube or wherever you listen.